0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission.
1: Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes
2: for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLe The world's
0: longest running motor-
2: Offering you uh, a little bit of programming diversity this evening here on RS1. If you're not following the football uh, tonight, welcome along to Midweek Motorsport, where it's just after 8 o'clock. England, Denmark, we know about. But if you're tuning in to us right now, then maybe that's not your thing. And we have got a packed programme for you tonight. And we start, I'm afraid, uh, with some breaking and sad news for you Uh Just coming through to us officially now, there's been speculation about this all day, that Carlos Reutemann, the Argentinian racing driver who raced in Formula One from '72 to 1982, uh, has died today. He was in a medical facility in Santa Fe, Argentina, suffering from issues that he'd had for quite a long time. Uh, And his daughter, daughter Cora, uh, just confirming it. We we haven't because it's happened so quickly. Had time to put a proper orbit together. We will do that next week and get some of our our contributors together. uh, Three times third in the world championship and a bit of an all rounder as well. The last Argentinian driver to uh, win a a Grand Prix, uh, and uh, he also. Scored points in the World Rally Championship uh, as well. So, I uh, just such a such a shame. Uh, he he was a battler in his racing career and also in his uh, in his life as well. Okay. So, uh, hello and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. If you are just joining us, that's sad news. Uh, bringing uh, us to the start of the show about Carlos Reutemann tonight, and a full, uh, a full orbit for him next week. Uh, let's uh, move on to some of the uh, some of your tweets this evening. Quite a lot of you offering EFA's, including Oliver Giles, uh, and a few of you who, well, we know what you are doing. Hello to Phil. Hello to uh, Screezilla. To Dave Alcock, who is in live tonight, and Jet as well uh, in. Live as well. Jonathan uh, Ezo uh, has a work, a regular work call, so he'll be on the podcast as well. Hello to Paul Leggett, to Stephen Lloyd, uh, and to Jens Jensen. He'll be watching the football at the moment. EF is from Josh, aka the Turtle, uh, and everyone else at yourtainment. This evening, Kevin Payne here for the first time. He's on the podcast, Sim Racing Bar Stewart as well uh, this evening. There will be no spoilers for the real Slim Gleki for today's tour stage. Let's head to the top story. All the latest motorsport news from
0: around the world. Midweek Motorsport.
2: And the top story on Midweek Motorsport tonight comes from France and Peugeot, unveiling their new hypercar. Uh, the uh, well, I'll let Andrew Cotton, editor of Race Car Engineering, describe it uh, a little bit more. Uh, Andrew, first of all, before we even get into that, it it was worth the wait. This
3: car, wasn't it? I think so. It's uh, it's totally new innovation. Uh coming back to motorsports. I'm not sure if you actually can say that. Um, it's ground effect, isn't it? They've taken away the rear wing and they've decided that they're going to uh, use aero in a completely different way, taking full advantage of the regulations that give them maximum downforce levels that they're allowed to hit and a point on the lift drag ratio that they're allowed to hit. And that's pretty much it. Everything else is green light. Go for it
2: uh the, the, they've kept the uh, the number nine as the start, uh, 9 by 8 or 9x8 hypercar. Does that give us any clues to, to anything or is that purely marketing-led?
3: I suspect it's marketing-led. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, <laughs> the last one was the but, 908, I suppose. Well, yeah, but uh, <laughs> there's plenty of other options they could have chosen. But okay, 9x8, we'll call it that. Um, if you want to call it 9x8, that will give it slightly so different dimensions. Well, that but...
2: makes it 72, doesn't it? Um, in that... <laughs> Which is perfect. Actually, I've just realised, x the department where Lemonis is, is department 72. I wonder if that's why they've called it 9x8. Hind Off scores. Getty. that's I'm just not even
3: to going to try. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've justified it. That's it. That's why it is now. That's absolutely why it is. Now, it's a big old thing um renderings and what looks to be a, a full-size model mock-up call it what you will uh, uh released today at uh, five meters long just over two meters wide it's the size of a of a big suv uh, they, these new cars they are not going to be ditchy little tiny things are they
3: they're not but they're still much shorter than a formula one car
2: yes okay even at five meters oh my god really that's scary that's scary. Um. The design, obviously, is something that we haven't seen yet. There is, at the moment, no rear aerofoil on that. And it looks as though they're gaining their downforce from underbody, aero, um, ground effect type of thing. Um, They've clearly looked at the regulations here, Andrew, very, very carefully indeed, to get their numbers right.
3: Well, they have. They've also spent a lot of time in the wind tunnel because one of the things about ground effect that, I'm still confused about how it's how Persia is going to make this work. Um, they have to try and channel air through the side of the car mm-hmm. to create a kind of curtain to stop air coming in from uh, outside and into the diffuser area. They also have to channel air under the car into a big diffuser that creates the downforce and the suction effect. Um, so when the Lotus 79 was running, they had slide, sliding skirts that slid down and stopped the air coming into that area. Uh, Peugeot has to do that with air. And that how they're going to do that, I've no idea, because the other problem that they've got is that the underfloor aero, while it's going to be um, quite complex, also has to be robust, because they're going to give it to drivers who are going to crash into kerbs and uh, they're going to drive it on Uh, bumpy circuits for example and so they have to make it not only intricate enough to steer the air exactly where they need it consistently but they also have to make it really strong and the team is well aware of it i did ask them about it when i spoke to to the uh, technical director um, yesterday but it's still going to be a complicated piece of kit to try and make that all work consistently and in all weathers um Mm. is going to is quite a challenge for them
2: It would seem to me, and perhaps we won't know this until we actually see and find out a little bit more, it leaves them very little room for adjustment in terms of aerodynamics. Now, I know the new uh, LMH and uh, and LMDH regulations are, are pretty... Prescriptive when it comes to adjustment of aerodynamics, movable aerodynamics, automatically or, or or mechanical movement aerodynamics, not allowed, and you're only allowed to move one surface. But if if that's the floor, that's more difficult, truly, to jack the car up and make a difference than it is to
3: crack a few holes differently on a rear aerofoil. Well, it is, but you have a minimum ride height and and you don't have a maximum one. So it doesn't matter what you have. You can still jack it up or jack it down. You just have to meet that minimum ride height. Um, Peugeot, when I spoke to them, said that they have not yet decided what their adjustable aero device is going to be. It could be a wing in the front. Toyota considered a wing at the front with a fixed rear wing uh, for its GR010. Um, they elected against it because they they could see more benefit from having a rear wing that was adjustable and Peugeot are hinting that they're going to go the same way and that they're not going to take a front wing but what options there are for them I guess they're only under the floor or under the bodywork but um we have to wait and see what they're what they're actually planning but it's a fascinating concept
2: Uh, and I think the ACO will be very very pleased with this because if you look at the car the 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 claw-style headlights, even the paint scheme, uh, the tail lights—they all echo the Porsche Sport Engineering versions of, for example, the the new 508 um, and some of their other vehicles. The, the styling cues back to the road cars are absolutely there, and to me, that looks the most L M H of uh, uh, hypercar-ish of all the cars we've seen so far. <laughs>
3: Should we just call it Global Prototype and, and be done with it? Because yeah. that's what it should have been called. Right. Okay. Um, this is one of the few benefits of balance of performance. Um, when you have your maximum downforce levels and your aero levels that are pretty prescriptive uh, and you're balanced, then you can get involved. You can get your, your production car guys involved, your design team involved in the design of the racing car, because the penalty is is mitigated by... The balance of performance so this is what all the dpi manufacturers enjoyed so much they could get their production guys mm. in and they could use all the styling cues and they could really make it uh an extreme version of the family of cars that they're producing for the road and this is exactly what peugeot has done they've taken full advantage of it um it does look extraordinary uh,
2: Extraordinary is is yeah. It's difficult to bring that across on the on the radio, of course, but I'm sure most of our listeners will already have have heard it. What a purse You're telling you, Andrew, about when we might see a uh, uh, humming 2.6 V6 rolling of this car, and, and when it's testing. It, it can't be that far away. Uh, other people saying probably towards the end of this year, 2021.
3: Yeah, that's what they're all saying. I think that there's this sort of little area of the year where suddenly all the cars are going to hit the track at the same time in different places. Um, and it's the the end of the year, uh, towards the end of the year. So uh, we're already in the second half of 2021. So it's a bit of a get out. Um, I don't know how far on they are. Peugeot have the engine that, and and hybrid system that have been testing on the test bench already. So that's already quite far advanced. Uh, they're going to need to get this car on track um, to get it tested and get it homologated. Because don't forget, this has got to last for five years with only one upgrade sometime in that five years. Uh, And if they have an extreme concept that may or may not work, they're going to need to find out what they need to do to perfect it and to make it really competitive against, let's face it, some pretty established and effective very, uh, com- um, what do you call it, very competent yeah, prototypes.
2: And you don't want to get it wrong if you are stuck for five years. That was the Glickenhaus thing, wasn't it? Why Jim was very conscious that they had to get their their drag and downforce numbers absolutely spot on before they put in their homologation papers. I would assume that Peugeot, despite the fact that we've now seen this concept car, um that they will be trying to do the same thing and get the right balance because a car that's going to work at Le Mans, Andrew, um, is a very different aerodynamic proposition from a car that's going to work in the rest of the WEC. And whilst Le Mans is, is absolutely going to be, particularly in 2023, I would have thought, for the centenary, the uh, right at the top of everybody's wish list of wins, it's, it's no point if it's going to be pretty... Rubbish around the the rest of the circuits.
3: No, and this is the problem. You've you've got to have a versatile car, and I think this is where uh, Perge, oh, sorry, where Toyota and and Glickenhaus, uh, in the first two races of the World Endurance Championship, we had the LMP2 cars coming fairly close to them because they're all running their one body kit. They're uh, in LMP2. They've got the Le Mans body kit, and uh, Hypercar only has that one body kit that has to cope on, on all of these circuits. And of course you're going to design it for the big goal. Uh, whether you define the big goal as the world championship, which nobody really does yet because you've got Le Mans, which is the prize that everybody wants to win. Everybody remembers a Le Mans winner. So you have to make it work for that, but you also have to make it work in different temperatures in on different track surfaces at different altitudes. Um, and, This is a tall order. You also have to make it work on the different tyres because uh, Peugeot, almost certainly, they'll have the same family of tyres as as Toyota, but almost certainly they won't have the same tyres. So they're going to need their tyre development to really get ramp up now in order for Michelin to be able to build them for next year and for them to be competitive. I don't see how this car, if it's testing at the end of this year, is going to be ready for the opening race of 2022. I suspect we're going to see it probably in Europe, uh, middle of the season. Um, I would expect one race before Le Mans, but that's only me guessing. I haven't told me that.
2: And I said I thought the a c o would be pleased with this on a number of uh, levels to be honest, because it's another one of their version of the global prototypes as as we're going to call it from now on um it's also Persia, which is French, which is huge it's a massive, massive story does that will that be used as vindication for the a c o s vision of, of the global prototypes as opposed to the the DPI 2.0 H uh,
3: from, from IMSA? <laughs> Do you know what? I've just been writing about this and it's actually irritated me that we have uh, LMH Le Mans uh, hypercar, we have the DPI 2.0, which is the LMDH, which was the DPI. You can have, have a GTE in Europe, which is a GTLM in America. I mean, this is nonsense, isn't it? How the hell are you going to explain this to <laughs> somebody, to a casual observer? So as a global prototype concept, yes, absolutely, this is vindication. But actually, I would say the vindication is the fact that so many manufacturers have seen a cost-effective route into a fantastic racing program, to be able to do the World Endurance Championship, to be able to do IMSA, to be able to race at Le Mans, to race at at some of the biggest prototype races uh, in the world, the most established ones in the world, with this concept that is cost-effective, that you can sign off if you're a North American uh, outfit like HPD or whether you go to uh, your board, as as BMW did. Mm. You have access to these... Uh, to this top prototype category. And as an overall concept, I'd say that this is uh, a a success story. Uh, I just wish that they'd made it a hell of a lot (laughs) less complicated in terms of the naming structure.
2: Yes. Uh, Convergence doesn't necessarily make things easier. I suspect we'll be seeing lots more uh, words in race car engineering about this in the coming months, uh, Andrew.
3: Well, we will. Uh, There's one other point that we need to talk about, which is the fin.
2: Uh, which driver is this from Scandinavia?
3: <laughs> well, the, the, both uh, Toyota and Glickenhaus avoided or tried to avoid having any kind of a fin on the engine, mm. um, which is why they finished up with uh, either very re- big rear wing end plates or the strikes across the uh, the rear wing. They found that the fin was the most efficient way of achieving the uh, stability in your um Toyota have gone the other way, and and while they have a fin, um, they said we might Persia. make it a bit. Persia have gone. Uh, the, sorry, Persia yeah, yeah, have yeah. gone the other way. While, while they um, might make it slightly longer, uh, they're not going to make it any bigger, oh. any taller. Um, and so you've got the fin over the engine cover, which I think is quite an elegant solution, um, which works in, in uh, conjunction with the two fins on the inside of the rear wheel arches. And Persia said actually that was the most complicated bit of the entire aero. Uh, package trying to make sure that they could hit the aero stability at your angles um, without having such a big fin on the back of the car
2: like it well, I, I like the innovation. I like that we are seeing things that are distinctively different. There's no doubt at all that if you painted the current three from Glickenhaus, Toyota and Peugeot on matte black and stood them side by side, you'd be able to tell which one was which, which is the variety, Andrew, that, that we like in sports car and endurance racing. So there is a tick in the box there for these new regulations
3: absolutely the, the, there is nothing wrong with uh the the design teams being able to go out and being able to create these these uh these look extraordinary looking prototypes but don 't forget the DPI cars were also quite identifiable mm. uh, even all painted matte black um I mean, apart from anything else, you would be able to identify the Peugeot because the drivers will need sunglasses in that cockpit. I've, I've, they can't be running it that colour, can they? Well... Possibly luminous green inside the inside there.
2: Oh, yeah, what, what was the name of of a hyper something green, um, which I thought was uh, in, interesting. Uh, it's that is their Persia Sport engineered by Persia Sport colours. Though that's there are estate cars and 508s running around on the road that have those accents as well. So. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, Andrew, we look forward to more details coming in the next few weeks in race car engineering. Thank you for joining us on Midweek Motorsport.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: So Nick Damon has been listening to Andrew Cotton and it looks like you're going to have to deal with Peugeot in the pit lane at Le Mans for some uh, at least uh, in the near future. Uh, Nick, uh, good to have the 9 times 8 back then. Department yes. 72 has oh. it dawned on me there in that interview.
1: Well, it's the first thing I thought of it was the 72. But of course, it's also is named after the most successful Lotus Formula 1 car. Lotus 72. <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm, of course, you'd bring it back to Formula 1, wouldn't Obviously. you? Yes, I'm sure the the, the Peugeot uh, guys weren't thinking of that, uh, weren't thinking of that at all, um, striking car that full yep. size mop up in particular I think it's much better to, to see that than just to see some, some renderings um, I'm sure that will be popping up at various racetracks uh, throughout the, the rest of the year massive good news story for France for the ACO perhaps not such a good news story for some people who've already committed to LMH
1: no, I mean, I think I, I was looking at it, you know, and obviously we're all massively excited about when we get to see the, the battle of the LMHs and it the LMDH, which should be 23. But I did not think the people who are most concerned by that car would be Toyota, to be honest, because mm. Toyota have, have built a car that's in, you know, be really honest about it, if you look at it, you couldn't tell it wasn't the latest version of the previous machine. You know, you it's
2: an evolution uh, from the Japanese, while the French have yeah. been very French and had a revolution. Is that yes,
1: and we should, we should try, we should really call it a, a mathematical number that adds up to 1745, whenever the French Revolution was. And I think my, math, my my I was going to say 1776, but that's the wrong revolution. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but that'd be about, about the nine x eight x seven take away three brackets. I mean, yeah, we need new Carol Wardman for that one.
2: We definitely need two top. from the top. yes uh, I, I think <laughs> uh, it began with the. Uh, it's that general, seventeen eighty nine, and oh, in, mate,
1: it's after it's, uh, France was after America, was uh, it?
2: Uh, the French consulate oh, wow. ended in seventeen ninety nine. The French Revolution, right? So, so it, that... it, it ran for ten years.
1: 1745, the Jacobite Rebellion. I think that was the British problem after 1745. There's, there's just a lot before going six on. o'clock. Well, it was a hotbed of things which led to the, the nomenclature for racing cars.
2: Yeah, indeed, indeed. So, so yes, as we said, you know, in some ways, that aero concept that Ben Bowlby pushed with, uh, with the yeah. Nissan. Uh, and as I said that to Andrew, though cars that are good at Le Mans sometimes aren't good every everywhere else. It's bold, it's exciting. Um, uh, is it worrying Toyota?
1: Um, I think the the concept of worrying Toyota. I think I think you know that, that, that it's interesting that that what. Um you guys talked about, because I also when I saw it, the first thing I thought about was the Nissan, because that's what happens when you have a radical idea which you don't see it through properly. You know That car needed at least another year's development um, before it went to Le Mans, and it was you know made to look silly because of basic things like they're you know, not going to go over curbs, hybrids are not working properly, we've been ironed out with an extra year and an extra uh, few million dollars of investment. So perhaps Persia being cagey about when they're actually going to, whether they're going to hit the, the uh, track in 22 or, uh, competitively, or 23, is actually very clever because there's a lot of work in getting a new concept to work and there'll be a lot of things they find out which they didn't expect because once you go off the beaten path, the rewards are massive, but so are the risks.
2: Yeah, I thought it was interesting when I asked Kevin Magnussen about him getting more IndyCar drives in our Meet the Magnussons feature. Was that only last week? That seems like a million years ago um, already. (laughs) that, That he said, you know, I'm going to be pretty busy with Peugeot.
1: Yeah, so, they got, they'll have a massive test test yeah. regime because um, yeah. they'll need. to. I mean, I assume. Does that mean that Kevin won't be in uh, in IMSA next year? So he's going straight into. Persia. I think
2: it will depend on the clashes because I, I'm certain that Persia well, one Persia of the things
1: aren't going to race are they, next year. That's that's the thought, isn't it?
2: Well, they they said yes, but I don't know. I, I mean, I, I can't see it, but they might want to keep that drivers race. Race ready, and you know racing LMP um, or DPI, excuse me, in yeah. in IMSA at the sharp end of the field. Not the Makes worst sense. place, not the worst place. And and if they're going to go there and take on some of the big races there, um, Weck still potentially heading to to Sebring. Um, then again, it's a driver who has experience. And yeah, remember when you had that very long. Uh, chat with Christian Klein after Petit Le Mans about mm. how important it is for drivers, very good drivers. And I rate Christian Klein. I always thought he got a rough ride, actually. I rate him as a driver and he was a smashing bloke, as you found out. And what he was seeing about going there and not really having had a lot of experience of of American-style yeah. s- tracks and American racing.
1: Yeah, of course the thing about Christian Klein is you see that he's actually, he was emulating me at the weekend. Was he? He asked the questions to the drivers at the end of the race. Oh, yes, he did. They had Ferdinand Habsburg, um for the qualifying, and they had Christian Klein for the for the for the race. I thought it was really nice, actually. It's it's it, yeah, I, I haven't put anything against. Brundle and Coulthard and everything else, but it's nice to see them just give the gig out to um, to locals. Save your uh, Formula One stuff. Save your Formula One. Stuff. Uh, your oh, Formula sorry, one. That was, a, that, was a, that was a good that was a genuine link, though. Yeah,
2: well, we we wasn't, sh- wasn't a wasn't a shoehorn. All right, we've got another guest before we go in, <laughs> okay. into Formula One. So, do we agree then? Good news for the ACO. Good news for yep. France. Yep.
1: Uh, potentially great
2: news for Peugeot. Uh, well,
1: one thing. Can I just put one caveat? Mm-hmm. Can they, change their, can they change their attitude from last time? Well,
2: uh, I'm sure there'll be some of the same people, but some of them won't be. Uh, some of them will be new people. Um, Fiona Miller, actually, the very fragrant Fee, um, made a very good point about that, which was the whole of their presentation was in English. Mm. Now, does that signify exactly what you're talking about? A change in realisation, in attitude, in atmosphere that this is a global programme and as yeah. as much as the FIA would like to think otherwise and the FFSA, I'm sure, that the global language of motorsport is not French.
1: Yes, and also, of course, in the intervening few years, um, they've become a part of an even bigger, much more global organisation with Stellantis, haven't they? Which, you, you're right, you know, incorporates... Uh, good point you know, a lot more languages in the native car companies. So who tends to fall to English? So there is a, that is a major change since the last time there.
2: Yeah, that is a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. Um, Persia disappeared, of course, because of the issues with the car business. They announced uh, yesterday that Ellesmere Port is going to stay open, the Vauxhall plant, although it's not going to build the Astra anymore, which is a, a B-segment. Uh, saloon and a, or hatchback and estate. B, B
1: segment saloons? Well, Hatchbacks.
2: well you know. Um, uh, it, it's now going to be their hub for electric commercial vehicles, so that's good news for mm-hmm. all the workers up there. Um, so, this coming off the back of that, it shows the turnaround of Peugeot as a business, and they've tied it nicely, as I said to Andrew, into their engineered by Peugeot Sport cars, which are supremely. Elegant, ferocious, um, really meaty looking, uh, quite expensive for Peugeots, but good for them if they can sell them at 50 grand or whatever they are. Um, So I I just think it shows a new confidence from
1: from Yeah, That's that's a really good point because when when you actually analyze what happened coming out of um, 2009 or 2010, they Mm. pulled out, Mm. things never got as bad as they thought they would do. Yep. And if you're, and they were actually in profit within about eighteen months and large profit as an organisation. Yep. And they realistically jumped the gun because they're worried in that that period about making redundancies against motorsport. Mm-hmm. However, financially they shouldn't have pulled out in the first place, which is easy for us to say as motorsport fans. But it was a it was a mistake, and it was obvious it was a mistake by the desperation they were to get the, the motorsport area were to try and get back in again. Mm-hmm. But they've lost the momentum, and they've had to wait to this next iteration to get to get a, to feel they can start a level playing field, haven't they?
4: Yeah,
2: absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so good news for the SEO, there. Good news for us. Good news for endurance racing. Uh, this from uh, Frederick Lacroix. Uh, this morning, early this morning, after that good news, uh, regrettably, we have been left with no choice but to cancel our J- Japanese leg of the World Championship due to continuing difficulties with the pandemic, including travel restrictions and logistical issues. We have instead decided to replace Fuji with another race in Bahrain, which we firmly believe is the safest option for everyone. I'd like to take the opportunity, says the CEO of the FIAWAC Frederick Lacoyne, to thank Fuji International Speedway's president, Ajiro Ha. Haraguchi, excuse me, and his entire team for their excellent cooperation. Look forward to returning in the future. Uh, not our international surprised faces uh, on that bit of calendar news.
1: No, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. Um, I, yeah, We obviously will be talking about other calendar news, which may or may not involve visits to Bahrain a bit later. <laughs> Additional so two, so to, to,
2: yes, because we have got some Formula 1 calendar news as well. Yes, good point. Um, we, we uh Two Bahrains, so the eight hours of Bahrain on its original date uh, in early uh, November, um, so conclusion of season nine then, 6th of November we already had, um, and the six-hour race at Bahrain on the 30th, so exactly uh, a week before, um, You know, Bahrain's an obvious place to do it. There is an opportunity to use two different tracks, of course. Uh, And there is the endurance circuit that doesn't
1: get used. Yes, that would be the other one they'd use. They wouldn't use the sprint oval for an endurance race. But there is the much longer track that was only ever used once for F1 and wasn't universally popular, but... um, Not for F1. Not for F1, but then it's a very different, um, you know, there's a very different uh, dynamic within... Uh, Endurance racing, so I I, I think it'd be good to see that again because it's a a much more technical track. It didn't lead any sort of overtaking for F1, but it isn't the issue with 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 World Endurance Championship. So I think actually they um, they should give it a go. It's a bit more uppy downy. It's it's much more wibbly wobbly at the top Uh, and uppy (laughs) downy. Happy Wibbly Wobbly, absolutely. Yeah. Which the best it, sort of tracks always
2: are. Considering uh, it's in the <laughs> middle of a desert, they've done very, very well. Although it's right at the edge of the escarpment, actually. If you go all the way to the top and look over the top, you can see the airbase that you're not supposed to
1: know is there and you're not allowed to talk about. My, my, the only thing Oops. I think about with Bahrain, <laughs> when I think about Bahrain, uh, is when Dindo Capello took me out for a lap in the, uh, the Audi, uh, I think it was now the R8 V10. Mm-hmm. Safety car, yeah. He was really trying. And I've been out and very lucky to been out and escorted lots of drivers before. Great drivers, but they've always been, you know, chatting at the same time, having a laugh. Now he was trying, and that was very impressive. What he got out of that? Always been barreling up to turn three, and I thought this isn't going to stop. <laughs> and That's with a you know a souped-up road car. So there's, um, what it's what it's like when you get two seats drive driving an F1 car. God knows.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was sitting behind Mario Andretti before a uh sorry, IndyCar race. Stay with us, Nick. Uh, Nick's busy uh, this evening as well, or has been actually, because in uh, after the show tonight, or in uh, this month's edition of Historic Racing News. The radio show, Paul Tarsi yes. and Jim Roller are looking back on one of motor racing's less successful ideas, the Monza Annapolis Race of Two Worlds. Paul Jerd will be exploring the life of Selwyn Francis Edge. And Nick, Damon and Joe Bradley are arguing about the best F1 circuit of all time. I take it that is a multi-hour version of Historic Racing <laughs> News starting at 10 o'clock tonight. I,
1: it's no secret we recorded that before and they've got some cutting to do. If they want to get it to, to a manageable amount because it was also, it was also uh, Paul Jerd and it was also um, Jim as well. So four of us were putting our, our votes for our three favourite F1 tracks of all time. Uh, Nick will be back
2: in a moment or two with some Formula One news, including some calendar news. But we have calendar news from a different series first. Uh, And I'm delighted to welcome old friend of Radio Show Limited, long-time friend, I should say, not old friend, Ivo Breukes from the 24-Hour Series. Hello, Ivo. How are you?
5: Hi, good evening, John. I'm
2: fine. It's good to have your company on uh, midweek motorsport again. Uh, let's let's get the important piece of news out of the way. Uh, in terms of what should have been coming up, a little bit of change required to your calendar regarding the 24 Hours of Portimao. Yes, it was really yeah
5: kind of nightmare. Of course, eh? um, we were planning full full force, and it was looking good. And then the German uh, government uh, decided to to have a 14-day quarantine on return from from Portugal. Completely unexpected, because if you see it last year, we had a lot of problems, of course, and, and red zones, yellow zones. But we managed to get through it. But this time uh, we are a little bit um, we were a little bit caught by surprise, and um, uh, a lot of German teams uh, having problems also with other schedules, and they couldn't afford to go um, for 14 days quarantine. There was no exception regarding. Uh, if you go to, to Portugal for work or for international yes. sporting events, it was a uh, uh, the Delta variant zone, and um, so then we decided to, um, yeah, to to postpone the the race.
2: It's it must be, and you said nightmare. I understand that it must be because things are changing all the times, so, and it, 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 our listeners will understand the bitter irony of Portimao being the first international motor race after lockdown, which you guys managed to put on brilliantly to prove that it could be done with the, the protocols that were required. Uh, when when will that now take place? And how does that affect this year's championship, uh, Evo?
5: Um Yeah, of course, we have looked at um, into different weekends uh, during this year. Uh, but not knowing what was going on in Portugal and also looking at uh, the clashes of other races, we decided to, to move it to next year, to the 25th and 26th and 27th of uh, of March.
2: Oh, nice time to go down there. Very nice start. So that would that will effectively be the start of the European season for 2022, will it?
5: Um, yes, I, I need to talk to Gary about um, the points, etc. We are still working on uh, on that because it has some uh, some impact, of course. And also, we have to look at the rest of the year: what is possible to, to raise or not. We we um, we assume that everything will be fine; that we find ways to move through the whole COVID thing. Um, but as you can see, with Portimao, you, you never can tell because. <laughs> Who had expected, and the, the summer coming up, and everything was opening up, and we got all the vaccines, and that that we couldn't raise in Portimao. That was really, really, really un, unexpected. Uh, I
2: I take it that you're well into planning. In fact, I know you'll be well into planning because uh, you and I have had this chat uh, many years. Dubai uh, 24 hours um, back back to its normal at its normal time for 2022.
5: Um, yes, again in the second week of um, of January, and uh, of course this year we had a we had a good start. We had over fifty um, uh, entri- entries over there, um, uh, despite the, the whole situation, the 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 problems in traveling. Now we are have uh, uh, over eighty pre registrations, so wow. it's looking good, and we're expecting a full full grid. Uh, together with um, the six hours of uh, Abu Dhabi in the, the week after. Now that was that was a, a new event that
2: you trialled uh, this year. I I suspect that people staying there and doing two races uh, in quick succession. Uh, I suspect that may have piqued a few people's interest it, does that look the situation for 2022 particularly I mean there will be some people who haven't had a lot of races I didn't use my race license at all last year and I'm, I'm just trying to get it back for for this year to see if there's anything I can pick up before the end of the season so do you think the six hours of, of Abu Dhabi is is going to work again for you in 2022. In
5: Yes, exactly. I think um, if you see the entry list now, um, I think uh, over 90% of the, the cars which did it last year have entered again. Uh, plus um, a lot of extra teams, so probably um, the word got got around and it 's a beautiful time setting uh, you have the twenty four hours of dubai you, you you relax a little bit in uh, Dubai or Abu Dhabi, and then another weekend of, of racing on um, on the, the the new circuit of uh, Abu Dhabi Oh yes, of course, because we reported on that there 're going to be some changes uh, in yeah. fairness
2: it always I thought it always raced pretty well for g t and endurance races, so it 'll be interesting to see how how that works um. What about the end of, of this season, uh, uh, Evo? Um, obviously, we can't have a crystal ball, so we, we don't know what's going to happen. But if everybody goes to 24hseries.com, uh, they can see the calendar as it's planned. What are you hearing from your teams about the rest of the year?
5: Uh, well, um, of course, now uh, Portimao 24 hours for, for next week being cancelled. Uh, we expect a little bit higher grid in um, in Barcelona, and w- another race which is very very interesting was a 12 hour of Pegusa. Uh, it's a very old circuit with uh, with a paddock uh, squeezed in, the, in between the track and, um, and and the lake, the lake where the track is going around. Uh, so we have a, limit, a limited uh, paddock space, which limits the, the, the participants to, to, uh, to yeah, 40 teams maximum, and we have already uh, 30 entries for that, and oh, for well. me, that was the, the highlight of the last year.
2: It looked great. It looked great. I was very envious uh, of you lot uh, being down there. So the, the the word there is that if you want to do that, if you think you want to do it, you better get your entry in quickly because paddock space effectively is filling up even at, at this uh, distance from uh, from the event. Um, we'll finish off with some positive news uh, from, from 2022. So Dubai will start in January, end of March for Portimao, um, how does the rest of the season look after that? I know you like this to spread through through the year. So what have you got uh, else in the first half of the, of the season for, for next year?
5: Um, then that, that we'll be um, continuing with uh, Mugello. It's always ah, uh, a, a nice place to go and a nice place to race, And the, the races are always great uh, over there. Um, and then, of course, we have the 24-hour of, of, of Barcelona in the beginning of September. Uh, again, we, uh, we would like to return to Pergouza. Uh, and yeah, we have a, a long-term contract uh, with the the, the the circuit of Sebring. So um, Sebring is also looking good this year. Um, also a lot of new um, United States teams, so that's that's very positive. We're looking forward to that, and uh, we are in close contact with IMSA as well uh, regarding this race. Um, and we have new races, which is quite interesting. We have the Spa 500. Uh, but then for touring cars and GTs, so 500 laps in the beginning of July, and um, yeah, of course the 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 the, the calendar has not crystalled out uh, completely. So there's an an eighth race to be announced, um, and we are looking at Hockenheim, Red Bull Ring, Ungara Ring, Imola, Paul Ricard. Um, we have to look at dates and availability, and of of course we would like to avoid clashes.
2: Yeah always difficult of course with people doing that um you've introduced a a few new things uh, into even in the the current situation i I noticed some drone footage uh, in the tv product Uh, is that going to continue did that work for you
5: uh, yeah, we uh, we experimented in the um, in the 12 hours polar car with uh, live drone uh, feeds, which was very spectacular, very we have never very nice images uh, for that. Um, it's not possible at every circuit. Um, no. People had to get used to it, of course, and you don't want to have a, a race drone uh, falling on the, on a car. Those drones go up to 200 kilometers an hour. It's really fast. Um, so we are trying to figure out the best way to uh, implement it in our uh, TV production, and um, yeah, we're uh, working with the guys from Mistral Drones, and um, yeah, it's it's new for us, and we have to to figure out how it's the best way to to please our uh, our viewers. Uh, I I thought it was uh,
2: stunning. Um, <laughs> Addition, uh, And it gives literally a whole new perspective on, on the racing. It's really impressive what, what, what quality you can get from drones nowadays, where presumably Evo in the past, you would have had to use helicopters or planes, which are cost prohibitive for, for many series.
5: Yes, it was really spectacular. And sometimes you've got views, which you are used for video games, etc. So it was really on a serial to, to look at that. And I remember one time at the Code 60 that, that the drone was literally looking into a car. But you see the driving sitting uh, behind the steering wheel. It was really nice.
2: I love it. Yeah, very good. Um, uh, what else have we got for uh, to talk about? Uh, Circuit catering. Always very important.
5: Yeah, uh, we're working with um, our Italian partners to have good, um, good Italian catering on the track. Of course, that's something which, um, yeah, we would like to to focus a little bit on more because we, last year, of course, with COVID, we had to uh, we were we were bounded to uh, this, this this little bags and that was really not really a nice experience. Uh, although we make the best of it, of course, but. Uh, it could have been much much better and uh, a better atmosphere we are looking to to please the customers as uh, as much as possible well
2: and that's so important for the whole driver experience I, I know from being with you uh as a commentator and indeed as a as a competitor um 24 hour series tries to make things as easy as possible and as pleasant as possible from check in uh Having the the fast lane for when you check in for people who are registered for the for the whole season, it really does make a, a huge difference. A huge difference. Now, bef- uh, what what about the races itself? Um, any anything new in terms of sporting regulations and some things like that? You're always very open about what you're thinking about and what you're doing, and you always consult with the paddock, Evo.
5: Um, that's correct. That's correct. But for this year, we uh, we focused on keeping the regulation as much as the same as possible. Good. Um, I think we will go back to uh, one warm-up lap instead of two. Um, that might be one of the major major changes. Um, we still are looking um, at um, uh, at at driver um, categorizations. So uh, which drivers can can go uh, where? And uh, to make a very clear distinction between pro and pro am, uh, because maybe that was not clear enough in the in the last few years. So we are working on that, and uh, we are ready to announce it soon.
2: Yeah, very good. Good to see people wanting to come back to race as well. One of the many things that are different in 24 H A race racing is how you do the fueling. You've down through the years, you've kept that out of the pit lane, which. Actually cuts costs massively and makes working life in the pit lane much better, never mind for the driver comfort, but for the for the mechanics and the engineers as well because there 's no requirement for for uh, for for fireproof suits um, Is that going to continue?
5: Yes, that will be continued and uh, actually we are looking at um, to to upgrade uh, the whole fuel uh, station ah. uh, paddock part. Uh, more digital, uh, digitally. So, um, as you might know, some cars are using more fuel than others, and we are now using a system. So, the cars who are refueling um, use less fuel. The, we refuel. The 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 speed of refueling is a little bit a uh, little bit slower. Um, and that can be done completely digitally. And also we hope uh, to have a system. So during code 60, automatically the fuel uh, st- uh, station uh, realizes code 60 and, you know, they, they we fuel only 50 percent during code 60 situation. Uh, so that will be done completely automatically. So avoiding penalties and, and, and problems.
2: That's far too clever for my little brain to, to comprehend, to be honest, Ivo. You guys right at the front of innovation again. Um, before I let you go, you normally give us a little, uh, a little bit of news that nobody else has. Have we got any exclusive uh, in terms of, of what's happening in Kreventnik and in 24-hour series land?
5: Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, uh, we will launch um, uh, a new championship, uh, a proto-series oh, wow. championship. Um, it's, um, it's four races, uh, mainly in the north of Europe. Uh, we got some customers racing GTs, having purchased some, some prototypes, P3s, but also other, uh, other cars. And uh, we are looking into one or two hour races, so relatively short for Corriventic uh, 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 style. Um, and um, uh, we, we're going to start with that, uh, not necessarily as a support race at our uh, endurance races, but also uh, could be a part of another event. So that's uh, that we are working out. Um, nice. We have some co- uh, positive uh, uh, replies from, from teams, and we want first to sit down with teams and that we have a, a, a core uh, number of teams before um, um, making further announcements. Right.
2: Fantastic! You've dabbled in that in the past. Uh, I seem to remember a couple of times that we've had protos at uh, uh, supporting the the twenty four at, at Dubai. Uh, it, that it's a it's a tough time to launch a new series. So this is coming from the paddock, Evo, is it?
5: Yes, it is. And actually, on Hockenheim, we got some teams talking about it. Um, I also understood that some other con- um, some other uh, championships are now uh we are having a mix of gt's and, uh, and 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 prototypes i think belcar and um they're not uh, allowed to race there anymore uh, together with some teams uh, which we have in the paddock with gt's already for years uh, having purchased some some prototypes and um yeah they, those cars i i love those cars it's yes. it's it's it's, uh, it's fantastic and uh, relatively um if you look at 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 the running uh, running costs, uh, they're also in, in interested uh, interesting. So uh, we got this request, so we're looking in uh, looking into it. and now trying to find um, a a mode how to um, to get to get it going. Ah, oh, it sounds brilliant. Keep us in touch. Uh, will you pass on our
2: best? We miss you all uh, at the at the track side. The racing has still been spectacular, entertaining, uh, and a lot of fun. Uh, Evo Breukers from the 24 hour series from Krevetnik. Evo, thanks for joining us on Midweek Motorsport. Thank you, John. Good night. Say, say
5: hello to the guys. We will,
2: we will. Well, a uh, lot to digest there, and we'll do that uh, in a few moments' time. But let's get Nick Damon back, and this time, Nick, it's Formula One.
1: Hooray! Yeah! Oh, I'm so tired after three races I need a week off. <laughs>
2: Uh, back to back to back. To back, um, to back to back to back to back. It's the uh, back to oh, back to max to max to max. Oh, very good, very very good. Uh, team by team in the second half tonight mm-hmm. uh, of the show. Yep. Um, uh, of course, um, can't help with the football references this evening. Uh, I think this might be a well downloaded podcast um, sure. after after this evening. Don't don't. I, I know right. you're probably watching it so. Um, I'm, ca- I'm doing catch up with this. Stop it! Uh, right, um, let's do the news first of yes. all. And we said calendar, and mm-hmm. uh, calendar uh, again. Although interestingly, <laughs> we've talked about WEC, weren't we? Before, evil. Uh, no word on the Japanese Grand Prix, but there is one in the antipodes that we're not going to. Actually, there's more yeah, than I'm... GP there as well. It's not happening. Yes, I
1: think again. I think you know we we've, we've, we've... We've been having a lot of international surprise faces at the moment with the candidates, but this was never gonna this was never gonna happen. And I'm surprised that they took this long to call it off because Australia is officially shut to the beginning of 2023, isn't it? Not even yeah. not until not November twenty-one. So after shuffling around and after, of course, Albert Park did the track modifications, which would look really quite interesting in a, yeah. you know, to, to, to clean it up, um it's not happening. Um realistically I suppose if they put it on to, they put it back a year for, for next year it might happen, but it's, it won't happen in, in march twenty two either so yeah. um the thing is of course this is not really we don 't expect this to be the last we 've always lost Singapore and which was replaced by Turkey, and we've also lost um uh, Australia now, and of course we have a run of international races which are um out Once we out outwith of Europe. So we've got to just to give you an idea. We've got, we've got the British Grand Prix, the Hungarian Grand Prix, and then a break, summer break. Then we go Belgium and Holland. So it's just a chance for Dutch to get drunk for eight days in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Italy, Russia, and then we go abroad. I mean, Russia is sort of abroad, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so then we go to the Jap- Jap- Japanese Grand Prix in October, which has got to be questionable. Mm-hmm. The USGP is definitely on. Oh, right. We'll okay. come back to that. Uh, the Mexican Grand Prix is um, more likely to be on than not, mainly because of Chico Perez. They, 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 oddly, really? sometimes money talks more than than, than vaccination. Okay. Brazil is so unlikely; it's not true. But they, they, they as you know, the uh, promoter there is very litigious, mm-hmm. so they are. We'll leave it as late as possible to call that one off, and then we go Saudi and Abu Dhabi. Now, they have stated they want to stick at twenty three. I think they will lose brazil and i think they'll lose japan and and the 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 word the wise is that the first replacement is gonna be a double header at kota oh wow so they're going to double header at kota which because of the you know let's be honest about the americans have got a really good vaccination regime the numbers aren't bad it's an easy place to get to it's obviously where liberty is based so that is you know and they can fly the cars over there for two weeks and back to back Mm -hmm. it's thought that mexico will also happen um again because of the Money talking more than anything else. Also, Mexico had its big peak about um, eight months ago, so it's not doing that badly. But if
2: Mexico doesn't happen, um, potentially Mexican fans getting to Cota yeah. is actually, you know, as we've seen in the past, yeah. when they didn't have their own Grand Prix, they came in their droves. Now, I'm not sure what the, the border restrictions would be at the moment, but there's, there's a fallback situation mm-hmm. there. Did you say that, that Turkey was cancelled? There. No, Turkey's back on again. Oh, Turkey's Turkey's back replaced,
1: on. Turkey is replacing Singapore. Right, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but it means that if they want to stick to 23, um, they're going to need to find at least one more replacement at the back end of the season around November, where um, where Australia was, and possibly two, because they may replace Brazil as well. Right. And unsurprisingly, considering they're finishing in Saudi Arabia and uh, Abu Dhabi, the uh, the concept is they may go to Bahrain. <laughs> ah. So that's where that
2: links in with our WAC story earlier. um, Australian uh, Grand Prix being cancelled is the, unsurprisingly, is the major subject for On The Grid, which is tomorrow night, Thursday night. uh, That's at nine o'clock on RS1. And uh, Tony Shebeki has got hold, not literally, of course, of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation CEO, Andrew Westercott, special guest uh, on the grid tomorrow night here on RS1. Um, Both two and four wheel varieties have gone. uh, So the team will be discussing that, uh, what it means for the events moving forward as well. Uh, the rest of the team will be talking about the fallout of the decisions, and we'll be previewing some racing this weekend. Nope. It is the NTI Townsville 500, as the supercars are preparing for what looks like another double dose of North Queensland action. That's Krillz, Shebek's, and the rest of the team on the grid. Worth listening to tomorrow with with uh, Andrew Westercup because he will have all of the inside info. On, on what has gone on there behind the scenes. That's 9 o'clock RS1 uh, tomorrow. Let's fit in another F1. Uh, one, one very quick thing, by the yeah? way.
1: Um, the GP race has already been re- replaced by a second race at Portimao. Oh, really? Okay. Right, yeah, okay. So, Flip Island is now Portimao 2. Okay. So we have one, of course. Uh,
2: the other major bit, we'll get into team by team um, yeah, in yeah. the second half of the show. The other major bit in the news... Um, Possibly again, not our internationally contractually obliged uh, surprise faces uh, on for this one. Two more years for
1: Sir Lewis. Well, yeah, I mean it's interesting. I, I, I'm surprised it, 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 the fact it's happened so soon is is you know obviously complete you know and that, uh, you know antecedent of what happened last year. It was dragging on until February, but they've got it all sorted out for two more years. So Lewis will be there for the first two years of the new regulations, and you know it's a it's a vote of confidence team in him and him in the team. Um, I think yeah, it, the ramifications are, I think I think we all, we kind of always thought it was going to happen. And so it, what it does do is it takes away this, you know, or oh, who, will, who will the two Mercedes drivers be, and then make it you know, with a concept it might be a combination of Russell and Bottas. It now comes down to is it Russell or is it Bottas? And I love the fact that everyone was reading into the, the congratulatory tweets. So it obviously meant it must be George because he said the congratulatory tweet. Um, but then Valtteri said one as well. So, what does that mean? So, it, yeah, I mean, that is the, the big story is what they're going to do with the second drive. Now, the question people say, oh, well, now he's got two years and they can have Valtteri in for one year, but where are they going to put George next year? You know, who's going to sign him for a single year? So, um, that question still still runs. But, um, well, I, yeah, I, I mean, the ob- hmm.
2: So, well, I, well, talk about it in team by team as well, but I love Valtteri did a pretty good job at the at the weekend again. Um, he, he he can pull it out when he needs to. I I I wonder of the ramifications throughout the rest of the grid. There's excuse me. There's a new car next year, um, and uh, you know Lewis famously doesn't like testing. Although the current situation has put him in the simulator, which he normally doesn't do. It's another challenge for Lewis. Maybe that's just exactly what it, he needed.
1: I think so. I mean, I think, you know, it, it doesn't take a genius to work out this season's drifting away from, from Mercedes. Um, and well, talk do you about think, that
2: one. do you think not winning? Right, let, Let's talk about that later, but f- very quickly, do you think not being in running away with the title has probably made it the decision to continue easier for him or do you think he just doesn't think like that
1: i think i think he's not as concerned as we are about those sort of things but i think that he definitely enjoyed the first three or four races when they were toe to do racing with max um i don't think he'll he will be you know uh crying about losing this championship if he feels that the car they're building the next two years is good um i am I must. I'll put this in now because I'm. I, I first of all, let me just say I think Max and Red Bull are doing a brilliant job, and they deserve everything they've got. But it's mm-hmm. it's disappointing to me that the chance of a real battle has been taken away by the cost cap. And this is why I don't believe. In, in what way? because Mercedes are putting their resources, their financial resources, into next year's car because they can't put right. it in both places. Right. You know, We should have a fantastic development war. This is why I don't believe that there should be a cost cap in F1. This is why I believe I would rather have six teams spending gazillion dollars than ten teams spending $140 million. It's not F1. F1 is profligate spending. That's the whole point. <laughs> and when you're constrained in your development by a cost cap, that's not F1. And that, it's, I'm not saying that it's not because I want Mercedes to win. Because I think Red Bull done brilliantly this year. I'm really impressed with how they've managed to continue to develop and everything else. But if it's really true that their development is being stymied by financial reasons, and I think it is, then that's not F1 to me. Mm. I'm not say it devalues Max's weird. I'm not. Don't, no, no, no no, that no, 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 no. I just don't like that. I didn't like it when they stopped a limited testing. That's not F1. Mm. And yet, call me a you know, dinosaur, but why can't we have one thing at the top of the, the top of the pyramid where you just spend cubic dollars? Mm. Everything else can be cost cap. That's fine. It's the same thing. You, know, you, have, you have cost-capped in you know, the championship, but not in the Premier League. Yeah. You know. But I, I know I'm, I realise I'm out on a limb and I realise I'm old-fashioned, but it does disappoint me. That's one thing that disappointed me about what I think has been a, a good season and some great performances by top team. Especially when what they're
2: effectively doing is doing some development from, from next year out of this year's budget because they haven't got any extra budget for next year, despite the fact there's a, there's a new car. Uh, Nick Damon will be back with us in the second half of tonight's programme as we go Formula One team by team. But before we go to half-time, a few sports car stories. Half-time, see what I did there? Yeah, I know. I'm staying away. I'm staying away. Don't tweet it. Do not tweet it. I'd your time Uh, No football chat on there. I'm trying not to look at any news feeds. Uh, Let's take...
0: This is
2: unreal. Uh, Let's take some sports card news, as I say. Uh, ARC Bratislava uh, are going to switch to an Orica for the lmp 2 at the 24 hours of Le Mans. There was only going to be, I think, a couple of Ligiers weren't there. Um, uh, Miro Konopka... Uh, leads that Slovakian outfit fit. They started uh, the season with the Leisure JSP217. And they'll be going to the Orica. That means I think there's only going to be... That's Racing Team India, isn't it? Which is operated by Eurasia. So 25 cars signed up, 24 of them now Oricas. We're getting closer and closer to to a spec class <laughs> again there. Aren't we? Uh, More Le Mans news, this time in GTE Pro. Hub Auto have named a very good, very good indeed uh, trio of race drivers for their Porsche GT3R. Uh, They will, or RSR 19, should I say. Uh, They are in the top class against uh, World Engineering Championship programmes from Corvette, Ferrari, and Porsche, and of course the WeatherTech Racing 911 as well, which is another privateer uh, car. And they have decided on how about this for a lineup Dries Vanto, Alvaro Parent, and uh, Maxime Martin, who's the defending class winner. That gives the Taiwanese squad, I think, a very good crack at it indeed. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, WEC coming up, a couple of weeks' time. Uh, We've got uh, Johnny and Graham, of course, looking after the uh, Monza ELMS at the weekend, which is Saturday and Sunday, sound and vision, of course. And then the following week, uh, we have the Monza WEC, which is effectively the last warm-up before Le Mans, and, and the test day, which will be behind closed doors, the test day at Le Mans, uh, Kessel Racing have dropped out the Car Guy car. That was meant to have been Mikkel Jensen, uh, Davide Fuminelli, and the boss of Car Guy, uh, Takeshi Kimura. Um, what's been described by the team as logistical related issues have led to the withdrawal of that car. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely stunned that we haven't uh, even seen. More of that. So that will leave us with 37 entries for the 6,000 Monza for the WAC. That'll be the five hypercars, two from Toyota, the Alpine, and two Glickenhausers, 708 and 709. Um, this is not this weekend, but next weekend. So that's people Durrani, Gustavo Menezes, and Oli one, and Roman Dumas, Frank Mayer, and Richard Westbrook in the other car. P2s, 12 of them, GTE Pros. Uh, four of them, two Ferraris and two Porsches and then the GTE, um, 16 of them, add that all together and hopefully you get 37, otherwise my arithmetic has all gone awry, um, just trailing ahead a little bit to next week, there's been a lot going on and uh, John De Geese is across so much of it on Sports Car 365, we're going to get John on Uh, on the programme live next week to go through a few bits and pieces. Uh, It'll be in between the Monza and Monza ELMS and the Monza WEC round. So kind of works and it's nice towards the run-up to Le Mans as well. All right, uh, coming up towards the hour completed. Uh, So, uh, to use the football parlance, the second half starts right now.
0: Midweek Motorsport Half-time And while we swap ends Here's what's coming up
2: Oh very good Kerry's even used the half-time Still to come Uh, At the start we did mention Carlos Reutemann We'll have a full obituary On Carlos Reutemann Who has lost his battle Against ill health Today We'll do that next week. Uh, Coming up, news of our Le Mans 2021 coverage. Nick will be looking back to World Superbikes at Donington and he'll have the invaluable Formula One team by team. But next here on Midweek Motorsport, it's a very special, big interview with one of the all-time favourites. Darren Turner joins us next here on RS1.
0: Midweek Motorsport on Radiolamon.com.
2: Just after nine o'clock on Midweek Motorsport, our big interview brought to you this week by Visit Cayman Islands Department of Tourism. Worth the wait. And it's Darren Turner with us tonight. Before I'm not even going to feed you up at the moment. Turn the telly down because I'm staying away (laughs) from the results. I want no shouting and screaming. I don't know. I'm going to catch up after the show this evening. I I can't hear anything in the background. Good. DT, how are you, fella?
4: All oh, right, yeah. I mean, they're three 0 up, so it's great. Stop so it! Stop. Oh, you didn't say who. Oh, but yeah. then again, as soon as I know,
2: get the, this is like an episode of the Likely Lads or something like, <laughs> like something like that. Um, welcome back to Midweek Motorsport. We haven't spoken to you
4: for uh, a little while. You have been keeping yourself busy, though? Ah, uh, it's, it's been crazy. I mean, it's been a really busy year already, and um, running around here, there, and everywhere. So uh, yeah, it's, it's not like anything sort of really changed. Um, in terms of um, this this particular year, in terms of like schedules and everything else, it's just been a bit more difficult to get around and uh, uh, and travel. But yeah, still still plenty going on, which is which is nice. You know, it's nice to get a little bit of normality coming back. Um, although there's still a long way to go, though. But um, it's just been nice to be at the racetrack and seeing people.
2: Uh, British GTS uh, most uh, recently, your most recent success as well uh, in in GT four that's a damned competitive championship isn't it
4: it was yeah i mean uh, we missed out on the first race um so we didn't do the the brands round but we were back for for the silverstone race um so it was matt topham's first time in british gt and and for him it's been you know a, a real aspiration for, for many years to get to that level where he could be competing at British GT. Um, and so, you know, he's been delighted with everything he's been doing with testing with the, the Aston Martin Vantage GT4, uh, Newbridge, it's a new team to me, but mm. they did a great job. Very young team in, in terms of the the guys working on the cars and the engineers working on the car. It was, it was an interesting experience in terms of, I did feel quite an old driver when <laughs> I was looking around the, the garage <laughs> and I'm like... Well, there's only really uh, Richard, the, the team owner, uh, and me sort of uh, at one end of the sort of uh, age age scale. And then <laughs> everyone else was like in their early or mid 20s. And oh, um, yeah, but it was good. It was really good. You know, they did a great job um, first time in a, in a British GT and, you know, to come away with with a win was way above any of our expectations for the weekend. So really happy.
2: I'm interested that you say that, actually, because one of the things I was going to ask you, so I'll, I'll put that in now, that question in now, um, the level of professionalism in British GT. I, I mean it's always been great racing, but a lot of it, you know, if you went back five, certainly 10 years ago, it certainly wasn't at the level that it is now. What's it been like for you then going back into a, a nascent team, a new team like that and, and back into the British GT paddock?
4: Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, the last time I was in there was with beach team probably three years ago, I think it was 2018. Do you notice a um, difference
2: even from then Darren? Yes.
4: Yeah, you do. Um, and uh, it's much more organized in terms of just the level of detail. Um, and I think that's normal with racing that every year just things get a little bit more polished and, um, the level goes up, you know, people, uh, in the season, they're sort of heads down and, and just race to race. And then at the end of the year, they get a chance to review where the weaknesses are in their teams and they come back stronger the following year and they, and they correct that. So, and that's just what moves on, on racing teams and also the championship as well. So, um yeah it's always going to be a competitive championship the British GT. Um it was fun when I did it in 2018, really enjoyed it and coming back and and having a go in GT4. Mm. What was really like a bit of an eye opener for me was how fast the GT3s come up on the oh, yeah. gt4s um i can't remember what the gap is it's probably 10 seconds a lap or something like that but uh yeah it was it was a, a an eye-opener the first couple of laps on just you know the, the speed differential because you know for me normally i'll be in a gt3 and mm-hmm. you know this this year i'm, I'm doing another championship as well on a gt4 and i've done Nurburgring um, uh, in the gt4 before um but and you sort of expect the cars to really come up quickly there, but yeah, that was the the biggest thing from the weekend for me in the driving seat was just the the sort of speed that the the main GT3 cars were coming up. But going back to the the level, you walk up and down the pit lane um, and back of the, the pits in the paddock, and you can see sort of the the teams. You know, there's there's a good finance there you can see the teams are well structured yes um and the personnel you know uh, you, you you see quite a lot of the same people in the international paddocks as well yes um and it, you can tell from if you look at what happened at the weekend um in the world challenge you know johnny's on pole uh in the aston martin with garage 59 in that championship and then you know back in the British GT. At Silverstone, uh, I think they were in the top ten, but they were like eighth or something for yep. qualifying. And it sort of shows that it's a really strong national championship. That if you if you're doing well in that, you can pretty much do well anywhere in the world, really. Yeah, so,
2: uh, I think that's an interesting comment, Darren, because it, it answers or it addresses two interesting points. There is that you've got the same teams competing in national and. European and sometimes world championships with, broadly speaking, the same machinery. So business-wise, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Of course it does, even in these uncertain times, possibly even especially in these uncertain times that we have with with travel uh, restrictions and and things changing. But also you mentioned the youth aspect. And I find it, um, and I'd like to know your thoughts on this, I find it quite... um, Not just interesting, but heartening that there are now young drivers who not so very long ago would have been holding on to the hopes of a formula career, whether that was Formula One or IndyCar or something else. But in their late teens and early 20s have already made a conscious switch to GT racing. Um, is, Is that because... Of the whole ladder system now, and and the fact that you can go with a team who could probably take you from British GT, um, you know, and TF Sport have done it, have gone on and and won Le Mans and won world championships.
4: It's definitely now, I'd say, a a route that's considered a lot earlier from drivers, Mm. even from the point of ignoring the single seater (laughs) uh, ladder altogether. So when I came across the GT Racing, I know it was 2003. There were strong championships, FIA GT, uh, ALMS as well, and you know there were strong categories, but the 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 sort of quantity wasn't there always. Uh, the grids could be a bit smaller. But now with I, I, I'd say that it's GT three has really been the yes. the main sort of catalyst for making it such a good formula in terms of there's a chance of having a professional career at the end of it, and you might get that early, and ultimately. We all aspire. I'd say 99% of drivers coming out of karting or looking at going racing aspire to get to Formula One. Mm-hmm. And then you look at actually how many seats become available, and it's one, two, maybe a year, maybe. If that, you know, the, a lot of them are in there for 13, 14 years. So um, the probability of getting to Formula One is so small. And then you've got IndyCar and that's looking fantastic at the moment, you know, in terms of the competition, uh, the level of the teams and the drivers. It's a a great place to be. And then outside of that, Formula Nippon, I guess. Um, So there isn't actually that many places where you could end up being a professional driver in single seaters where sports car racing because of the the fact that there's national European international and they're all really healthy um grids at the moment there's lots of opportunities so I think drivers are just wising up to it at an earlier stage that actually the chances of me making it to form one are pretty much zero Mm. if you if you're completely honest with it um where you know being a a professional racing driver I mean that's it's amazing you know I've, I've had a Awesome career, pretty much loved every minute of it. Of it, hey. and still, it's like. And then I've made a living. I've got paid to do something that oh, I absolutely love. Um, and
5: yeah, you
4: know, I know a number of drivers, sort of my sort of peers, that are hanging up the helmets and stuff like that. And I'm, and I, I can understand it on a professional level, where the time for them has, has come that they want to stop. But what I can't understand is. is then stopping driving, and I can't, yeah. I can't ever imagine me not wanting to be in a racing car, um, whatever level. You know, if yeah. it's racing a classic, uh, the Revival or Silverstone Classic, or, or anything like that, or even, uh, you know, MX5 or something. You know, just just fun stuff to do because it's it's always good to be behind the wheel. So, but going back to the, I've waffled on. Going back to the original bit of younger <laughs> drivers coming through. Yeah, because there's there's real opportunity for them to turn turn professional.
2: Yeah, I, I I do think that's very heartening for the sport, particularly as we've got some big changes coming uh, in the sport. Um, this chat tonight, uh, as as part of our big interview, brought to you by Visit Cayman Island, Department of Tourism. Uh, it's worth the wait. Uh, part of a new partnership between RSL and the uh, Cayman Island. Uh, tourism Department of Tourism, and and you're an ambassador for Cayman Islands uh, DT, and you've been there, so you have the advantage here. Um, I know hmm. it's been difficult to travel, but our work-life balance is is a thing that is nigh on impossible to get get right. How how did? It's a lovely place from the pictures. The the website looks fabulous. British Overseas Territory, of course. Uh, what did you what did you find the atmosphere like there? I've been to that part of the world before, but never to the Cayman Islands.
4: It was a real, a real treat in terms of I just done the uh, WEC race at Kota. right? Um, and oh, then it's okay, like so it was over that side of the world anyway. Um, and then there's an opportunity to sort of head down with the Department of Tourism to have a a look, a three day uh, explore uh, exploration of the of the the island, um, and also Little Cayman um, as well. Um, so. Yeah, I went down three days and I just got sort of shown as much as I could be shown in three days. Um, and I knew about the Cayman Islands before. I think You know, we all know the Caribbean islands. We've, we've sort of seen the photos and everything else. Um, and I've been across to Antigua before and it would have been maybe on my sort of – maybe that's where I would like to go for a holiday at some stage. But having been there and experienced what the island can give – um it was even though i was it was been sort of a here's a quick tour of what's going on on the island. it was amazing, you know absolutely amazing, and you know the days weren't they, they were work days it sounded i'm gonna I'm gonna get the old um violin out in a minute, but they weren't work days in terms of get up early seven o'clock we've got this this and this and this and this to do today then we're going to get on the little plane we're gonna go across to the little Caymans. You're going to have a bit of a diving experience and just to see that little island and then you're going to come back and um, we're going to show you as much as possible before you get on your plane to go back uh, to the UK. So it was a whirlwind tour but still got a real good vibe for what the island had to offer and and there's some amazing um there's one evening trip that we did where they have them little tours out at night into one of the the bays um and there's this bioluminescent i think that's the right good yes um in in the water so the bottom of the boat opens and then you can put your feet in and you can um put your hands in and, and and the the water suddenly glows um and it I was on my own. I didn't have any family or friends with me or anything like that. And there was a couple of other couples on there. So, uh, it was like, okay, I should really be with someone, but I'm, I'm I'm just here on my own. But it was, it was, um, I didn't want to get off. I was like, this is, this is great. And I, and I can't wait to be able to take the kids back there once, once everything's back going again. Um, and we have the chance to go back to the Island. And, and I, now I've got half an idea of where everything is. I can just, like right kids we're going here now we're going to go and try this out um and the the um stingray oh. um uh, tour and well, it's not a tour but it's basically that there's a the sandbank out in the sea where uh, you can get a boat trip uh they anchor up the boats and you get in, you're in the sea but you you're not near the coast you're oh, really? i don't know it feels like you're a mile out uh-huh. but it's a long way out on the sandbanks, um, and you're sort of waist high in, in in the water at this point and the stingrays come up and you can sort of hold one and then they sort of swim away. And it's weird. I was a little bit scared because they're big, they're bigger than you think. Um, but there's, you know, the, the the tour guys are there. They sort of, uh, they sort of know what to do to get. Uh, you, you've to all,
2: you've always been um, funny when you've had a, a Corvette stingray anywhere near in the past. So it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard way, isn't it? It's yeah. hard way. You, you, you were calling that work, by the way. I, I don't think you're getting much no, sympathy no. from the listeners. <laughs> uh, you already have the perfect job driving fast racing cars for Aston Martin, and then. Uh, now a new uh, a new role as ambassador for for the uh, the Cayman Islands Department of Tourism. Uh, you're getting zero zero <laughs> sympathy at all. However, you will be able to. I'll have a chat with you another time about where we can do this show from, and we'll go and do a live show. Uh,
0: yes, yes. That's perfect. what we should do. In,
2: in fact, <laughs> yeah. two or three or four. Yeah. Maybe yeah, just exactly. stay there for the you know for, for part of the summer and and jet in and out to where we we need to go. Uh, talking of Aston Martin, of course change of ownership there which has resulted in um the winding back of the works gt side of things big push into into formula one um that has clearly changed your role there although you're still driving aston martin's well i mean what what can you tell us if anything about what what's happening there i I suppose it's, it's all customer focused now isn't it
4: yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the works program came to an end obviously last year after you know, Nikki and Marco winning the World Championship, the Manufacturers Championship, the Teams Championship. So it, it couldn't have finished on a on a sort of uh, more successful sort of finishing point. So that was incredible. Um, but yes, you know, the, the focus has now moved on to the F1, um, and that's been really exciting to watch how they're getting on as well. It's, it's been actually you know, watching Seven and, and uh, Lance. I think they're just getting stronger and stronger. Generally, uh, the trend's going in the right direction. Um, And obviously, Seb having a, a podium... Um, already this year is is great for the team and, and everyone at Aston Martin as well. So that's really encouraging. And then yeah, the Aston Martin racing it's changed. It's now everything's about the customer teams and the works drivers that are on the books are able to go and help and um uh, and be with those teams as well. With you know the, the you've got Ross going over to Impsa, they're running in the lead of the championship oh, there. Magnificent so they're having
2: season they're having heart, heart racing, yeah. yeah.
4: It's like incredible. So that's great for for the customer team, Heart Racing, and and obviously Ross, he's jumped into Impsa program and and has basically just been able to sort of find his feet and hit the ground running, and he's done a great job for the team as well. And then Johnny with Garage Fifty Nine, and there's a few other little programs. So I've I've been out with Feathers Motorsport and with Newbridge as well, um, and uh, a spa you've got. Uh, marco and Nikki back and mm. ross for the 24 hours so yeah it's different um and you know maybe there's a works program in the future that comes back with works cars but for now you know this is definitely the, the stage it's all about looking after the customers and making sure that there's plenty of aston martins out there racing
2: yeah no. I mean, Aston Martin have always had customer teams, so it is a slight change, but only a slight change. And good to see the guys are, are still getting uh, plenty of drives out there. You're still driving some very nice Aston Martins, including this weekend, because the the Valkyrie is, uh, is going up the hill at Goodwood uh, at the weekend.
4: Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm downhill already. So uh, uh, I've got in um, from testing it uh, for the last week as well, but now ready to, to sort of rock and roll up the hill for four days with the car. Um, and so is, is this be... the
2: road version or is this the, the full race? Um... No, road, it's the road car. So
4: right. It's, okay. it's the, I can't, you can't really call it a standard. <laughs> valkyrie can really so but it's it's the it's the road going Valkyrie
2: again listeners have no um no sympathy for you and your job
4: of work turner and on at all <laughs> yeah well i mean the thing is the car is incredible to drive um and the only thing that can go wrong is me making a mistake so there's a fair oh bit of God. pressure um and i've got some vip's that i've got to take up each time we go up the hill as well so uh uh yeah i, I I love the fe- everything about Goodwood, the revival, the festival speed. It's always magic to be down there, um, and I've, and this year in particular is going to be really special because of of getting the chance to to drive the Valkyrie, which is um, yeah, so it's a special car in the history of of Aston Martin, and, and I think in the history of automotive engineering as well. So, you know, to be part of the program, to be part of the testing team, and then get the chance to sort of give the the first sort of real demonstration of the car to the public is uh, is going to be fantastic. <laughs>
2: We say this about a number of cars from various different manufacturers down through the years, but never has it been more true to say that this is a road-going race car. There's so much racing technology and racing engineering knowledge, DT, that, that, that's gone in into Valkyrie. Yeah,
4: it, the, the engineering speci- specification of this car um, and the aerodynamics... and everything about it when and i've spent a lot of time just in the garages with the cars as, a, as the engineers and technicians are, are working through the the uh, the tasks that have to be achieved for road car development you, so you do spend a lot of time looking around the car and the detail is the same detail that you see when you get the chance to get up close to a grand prix car yeah. it's really hard when you watch formula 1 you don't get to really appreciate the, the level of technology you see incredible racing and i mean the bit that stood out for me from the two austrian grand prix was the last two turns mm. on board it was just like even <laughs> i was like it, who spends my life going around racetracks i was like that's really fast that's yeah, not yeah. just a bit fast that's incredible Commitment. through those corners yeah so um but it's only when you get to you know, I, i've been into a, 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 a form one teams facility for a long time but um, like Goodwood Festival of Speed, you get close to the current cars or a year-old car. Then you get to see the, the detail of the engineering, um, and it's that same level of technology and uh, precision, and actually looking for ultimate performance that yes. is in the, in the Valkyrie as well. So, yeah, it's it's incredible to drive. That, that's the, the the bit that's like every time you get in it, it, it seems to be like a oh, I've forgotten how quick it is. This is really quick and uh you have to sort of just build up to it and just get used to it again because it's 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 a fast fast car you know in in terms of everything that i've driven from lmp1 cars to Formland, when I was um, doing testing like 15 16 years ago, and they were fast back then with the V10s. This is this is on the same sort of level, In terms of of the the experience, so yeah, and you can take it
2: to Sainsbury's to do your shopping as well, which is which is lovely. And if you don't (laughs) believe DT, by the way, if you're in the UK from I think it's half past two on Sunday. Uh, On Sky Sports F1, there's uh, lengthy coverage of Sunday afternoon. Alex Brundle will be joining me in the commentary box for that, as well as uh, some of the uh, Sky Sports F1 team wandering around the paddock. So looking forward uh, to that. DT, thanks thanks for joining us. Um, Always a pleasure even if we can't give you any sympathy for that awful <laughs> awful work that you've got to do oh hang on a second i've got 520,000 tweets here saying if you want a week off i can find somebody who can do a bit of your work for you
4: yeah, I, I knew I'd used the wrong terminology. What, what I meant was, <laughs> too late. it was a busy day. Yeah. It's too late. I don't think you can dig yourself out of this
2: one. No, so Darren Turner, uh, International Hall, uh, digging himself into a Hall <laughs> Championship <laughs> winner. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Enjoy- I, I, this sounds daft to say, but enjoy uh, the Festival of Speed at the weekend. I'll see you there over the weekend, mate.
4: Okay, great. Thanks, John. Thanks for your time.
2: Darren Turner, on uh, the big interview brought you this week by Visit Cayman Islands, Department of Tourism. Well worth the wait. And actually, um, we'll have a little more uh, Cayman Islands news here because uh, it was the uh, Porsche Sprint Challenge GB. Uh, or it is uh, kicked off uh, recently. And we, I think next week, are going to have on the defending champion, uh, who is uh, Ambrosio Perfetti, second in the championship at the moment. So we'll get a chat with him. That is the Porsche Sprint Challenge GB running the Cayman. Ha, see what they did there? A GT4 Porsche. And I, I'm very interested in that championship and that car. It's a tremendous uh, little thing. Uh, thing to run around the tracks and it's been very, very successful, that championship. So we'll try and get uh, Ambrosio Perfetti on for next week and uh, find out how he found the championship last year, having won it and how it is this year. And whilst we're talking about partners here at Radio Show Limited, uh, delighted to be able to announce that our Le Mans coverage uh, this year is once again... uh, Supported by Haggerty, so it will be Haggerty Radio Le Mans for 2021. And Eve has given me uh, the green light to tell you that all of the 24-hour sessions in Race Week will be covered live, all available free, of course, and without commercial interruption on RS1. So Haggerty Radio Le Mans back for 2021 and. All of the 24-hour sessions to be covered. Whatever else is happening in terms of TV or not happening as as it did last year for TV, that commitment for us already made. Uh, In terms of any other sessions, we'll give you details of them when we get them from the ACO and their television partners. Quick reminder, that's tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. It is the Simcast radio show. It's Ben and Lewis this week. And, well, they're going to have to go some, aren't they, to be beat uh, driving the Red Bull ring, as Jordan did last week, on a Guitar Hero controller. And he really did it. If you haven't seen that video yet, worth seeing. All the latest news from the world of e-sports uh, and virtual motorsports. That's the Simcast Radio Show RS1 tomorrow, and that's 8 o'clock UK time. Midweight Motorsport, a series 27 episode. No, that's the wrong way around. Oh, you see, I'm stressed. I'm stressed to get down and watch the football on catch-up. All right, it's series 16, episode 27. And we're going into penalties now. Not the football. This is Nick Damon and Formula (laughs) One team by team. Oh, I saw what you did there. Did you see what I did? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Right. Um, Have you digested... All of of the penalty. There, there literally were more penalties than a, a Euro '96 semi-final here.
1: Yeah, I got you. I got a five-second stop-go for questioning them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so let me let me get this right. Perez got a ten-second time penalty for forcing another no, driver we've got off track. Two by fives. Right. Okay. Stroll yeah. five-second for speeding in the pit lane. Yep. Yeah. Sonoda five-second time penalty no, for twice. crossing the white line twice. 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 Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, how many are we up to there? That's five. Raikkonen, drive through, converted to 20 seconds for causing a collision. He certainly did, and he did indeed. You've missed out, Norris. Well, uh, I'll I'll get there in a minute. Okay. Uh, Mazepin (laughs) and Latifi, 10 second stop and go, converted to 30 seconds for not respecting double yellows.
1: Yep, on the last lap.
2: And Norris, what was Norris's for? That was another five. Four seconds
1: for for leaning on Perez. Yeah. On lap two, one, three.
2: That, that, yeah. was, that, that, was, that was more than uh, a sudden death penalty shootout, wasn't it? That was more than 10 penalties there. And everyone lost. Uh, well, <laughs> hmm. controversy mm. about all, all of that. But yeah, I mean, I, can we agree yeah. on one thing? Whether or no. not you thought those pushing people off the track penalties were valid, and I'm not even going to go into that because I work with series where there, would have been, there wouldn't have been even any discussion About that, and it was interesting watching different drivers who drive in different series, and particularly in the US, how they were viewing that. Regardless of which way you think about that, there was a consistency about this race. I'm not talking about consistency with other races, indeed, other races here uh, at not here because obviously they don't race in Thrapston. but uh, at Austria, (laughs) I think particularly of Charles and Max at turn one which would have been a very different outcome if they'd applied the same criterion as they did here. But there was a consistency across the decisions here that made you see, after the first one, oh, well, that's going to be slam dunk. That's going to be another penalty. Yep,
1: yeah, I, I think you cannot say anything about that consistency. I'm going to say something. I completely disagree with both the penalties. Uh, one for and one against Perez at turn four. I completely agree with the penalty Perez got to turn six. Ah, interesting interesting because In a- i do it very simple live by the sword die by the sword you go outside round turn four there's often nothing these guys aren't opening the steering wheel the car doesn't actually want to go that tight yeah you know at the speed they're going turn six he pushed him off in a very dangerous place because there isn't runoff there anymore. It's gravel, so that's yeah. that's my feeling. The rest of them were slam dunks because it was stupidity by the drivers of various level. Yeah, but that's yeah. And but you're absolutely 100 percent right, John. We got consistency, which in many ways is all we've asked for. Yeah. Even this consistency, we don't like.
2: Yeah, um, I'm sure it'll all be forgotten about. Not at all. Um, he
1: says in brackets. Oh, going on about it by, by the, Simpson, oh, and, I, I, and it won't be the same. Someone will go off at, at Vale when it's con- when it's tarmac runoff and nothing will happen. They go, oh, it's not anyway, carry on.
2: (laughs) Uh, Let's get into team by team proper. uh, And we'll start, as we always do, at the back of the field with the team whose driver was, well, I was going to say 20th. But he wasn't 20th because Esteban Ocon was not classified as a DNF, having completed zero laps.
1: Well, he's three corners. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all gone wrong for Esteban since he signed his contract, hasn't he? He's (laughs) got a three-year deal. He's now got the same situation as Valtteri was a couple of races ago where he thinks there's something wrong with his car or his engine or his brain that that there is another possibility. And the possibility just is suddenly um, Fernando's back. Mm -hmm. And, and the gap to Fernando is the gap to Fernando. And it's not the car. I'm not the greatest Esteban Ocon fan. I think he's a good workman like driver. He's Mm -hmm. nothing special. Obviously every F1 driver, except Nikita Mazapan, is really brilliant. Yeah. You're brilliant to get there, but some are more brilliant than others, and an on-form Alonso, regardless of his age, is better than an on-form or an average Ocon. Well, he, so he's better than
2: is, most, isn't he? And tenth well, position. And, a, and where a,
1: is the car? Yeah. Is the car Alonso fast? Is it no. Ocon fast? Or as I expect, it's in the middle. Well, a, long, I'm, I'm a, a slightly lo- under. Alonso's slightly over the car. Alonso
2: has wrestled that car into a top 10 finish again, deposing George yeah. Russell in a cracking scrap at the end. And there's clearly a lot of respect between those two. That was a cracking and scrap. And, that was and, a great. Rest. That was and Alpine. Great rest. Alpine to, and, and we saw a lot of it as well. So fair play to the TV for showing that. Um, Alonso almost apologetically saying I wish it hadn't been George because <laughs> he really deserved that point. I think everybody's favourite second team is Williams and that includes Fernando Alonso. Uh, but Alpine, <laughs> get the point for 10th position and that well, to that's me the... is, is Alonso outperforming the car
1: again. Well, yeah, I mean the, the problem, the thing is that the top eight cars were the top four teams, which means you're only fighting on a on a, on a day like this where there was nothing Untoward happening. You're fighting for, for, for the last two positions, and Pierre Gasly and AlfaTauri unsurprisingly got ninth, and there's one left, and that was picked up by Alonso. So you know we'll, mm. we'll see those bottom positions get rotated around the, the the midfield teams, but it is very slim pickings when the other the top four teams, well the top two, then the second two get their act together. Yeah, um, and that's what happens
2: uh, in 19th and 18th, respectively, the number nine has Ferrari of Nikita Mazepin and the 47 of Mick Schumacher, both two laps uh, off the pace, okay. but still I,
1: I know it's, classified
2: yeah. below Vettel, who didn't finish because he completed, I, obviously, more laps.
1: I know it's very easy to do this, and we are learning nothing about either driver. No, agreed. We realise Mazepin is not Formula One quality, Mostly for his mental attitude, another yellow flag of offence and moaning and everything else. We know that Schumacher is faster than Mazepin, a lot faster in races, actually. He's finishing a long way further. It's, it's really interesting. He just creeps away, you, you know, especially in the second half of the race. Not by half a second lap. I think he was 50 seconds ahead. I think it was, it was slightly bent by an extra pit stop. He's been finishing half a minute ahead, mm. you know, so he's better than his teammate. But I've got no idea how good he is. I mean it's great for Mick because Mick, as we know, is is, is is this isn't meant to be offensive to him, he's a slow learner. Um, you know, he needs to he needs it's a, a freebie year for him second year. And he's got a freebie year where he's better than Mazapan, Mazapin, and and but I couldn't tell you how good he is one way or the other. I mean I think I've seen him I'm see, I've seen him put in some good drives, I've seen him make some rookie mistakes, which is all fine since his first year. But he needs a better car or a better teammate for us to work out what the heck's going on.
2: Uh, in 17th position, the number five, which is Sebastian Vettel for Aston Martin Mercedes. His teammate Lance Stroll in 13th. No finish mm-hmm. for Sebastian, a lap off for Lance.
1: Yeah, Sebastian was taken out by Reichen, but they weren't going to score points. Um, both of them decided to go through to uh, Q3 on the soft tyre, which is which was chewing gum. And it was a really bad idea. The two-stop stopping goal like, didn't work. It meant you end up falling behind the rest of the people on the one-stop and starting a train, which was one of the reasons Perez had so much probably got stuck behind that train mm-hmm. after he's off. Um, yeah, not a great weekend for Aston Martin. Lance slightly better than, than Sebastian again, but you know, the, the both of them be a very disappointing performance. And I think Aston Martin just sitting there going, Well, you know, you know we just got to drift through this year, try and pick up a few points, and then re, re, regroup for next year. Disappointing, and they yeah. are employing a lot of people, they're employing a lot of people, so they are showing intent. All right, OK. Uh,
2: 16th position, uh, another team that we haven't talked about yet. This is uh, Williams-Mercedes, again, a lap off the pace for Nicolas Latifi. George Russell, as we've mentioned, just eased out of a point-scoring position by Fernando in 11th. Another 11th. The 152nd yeah. time he's been uh, 11th in a, in a Williams-Mercedes. <laughs> and, and the
1: third team, where you have the same issue, you, you find it hard to judge how good driver A is, because you aren't really sure how good driver B is. Mm. Um, how good is Latifi? Is he just a paid driver? Or is he doing really, really well, and Russell's amazing? Or is Russell just doing as well as any good driver would do, and Latifi's a tugger?
2: Mm.
1: Who knows? I mean, I, I, they'll say, oh, we have the data and everything else. Problem is, the only other person who gets to drive the Williams is um, Roy Nissany, who is obviously you know, just an average Formula 2 driver. Mm. So... Yeah, and I think they had Jack Aiken in last year, who also is not, you know, an experienced F1 driver. You kind of it'd be great if they could get somebody, you know, I don't. Know, someone gets hurt, and Nico Hulkenberg gets to drive it for a week, mm. and we just find out where that. Not car somebody is. Somebody
2: gets hurt. Can I just interject there? Somebody gets sorry, a sniffle. Someone gets
1: some. Yeah, someone gets a good point. No one gets hurt, but someone gets a positive test. Yeah. And um, <laughs> sorry, that's a very good point. Actually, I apologise for what I said. Yes. Um, I knew you didn't but, mean it like that. But and then we can find out. Um, What's going on? Russell is very, very good at qualifying. Yep. Absolutely, yep. No, no, we saw that obviously because he managed to qualify someone his one outing. You Kari know, didn't know up against Bottas is a great qualifying, a couple of hundreds off in Bahrain. Mm-hmm. Um, his race, his race driving, has suffered as it did this week for, from not being brilliant on lap one. I was I had a good look at what happened there, and he was just, I think, unlucky rather than clumsy this time. Mm-hmm um he came 11th but again this is the problem for you uh, you're going to score points when no one breaks down from the top teams you've got a real problem you know he's the, the race car is not as fast as an alpha Tower. it's not as fast as an alpine most of the time it's not as fast as an aston martin but he beat both aston martins he beat one alpine he beat one alpha Tower. so perhaps that was all you get uh, um but you know it, it's again you, george needs to go and uh, george is obviously a top driver how top top he is you can't tell he gets he's got one great Racing in CV, which is fantastic, at a particularly simple circuit, which I'm not decrying for, but let's you know, let's put it where it is. Is he going to get the Mercedes drive? Yeah, if he's not going to get the Mercedes drive, where on earth is he going to go? Because mm. um, I don't think he will do another year at Williams, even though they're supposed to be much better next year. No guarantee.
2: Alfa Romeo racing Ferrari in fifteenth and fourteenth. Kimi in fifteenth. Uh, Antonio Giovanazzi in fourteenth. Not such a good weekend for for Gio. This. Uh, weekend, uh, and frustrated by so many different things.
1: Yeah, the car hasn't looked particularly good in either of these Austrian races. No. So, Giovinazzi's kind of positive year is kind of ground to a halt, really. I mean, um, Raikkonen really, I mean, I, I know I'm not his biggest fan, but I don't know what he's got that drive for. He's not doing anything, um, he's not helping Alfa Romeo. You know, Alfa Romeo said as much in a weird press release where they said the biggest problem they have with Williams is George Russell. So, it's obviously they think they've got driver issues. Mm. Um, I can't see them. I see no reason to retain Raikkonen. Um, and I see no reason for them to retain Um because there are other options better. But it's rare for two drivers to be new to a new regulation. So they'll probably keep one. But, you know, they, they, they need a complete refresh. I, I, I think that they are probably being held back by their drivers as much as by the car though I would say that Austria both Austrian races are a bit outliers so I don't think it was a great event for, Al- for the Alfa Romeo chassis uh,
2: the next team is Alfa Tauri from Alfa Romeo to Alfa Tauri uh, <laughs> Yuki Sonoda, number 22 in 12th position and his teammate Pierre Gasly uh, picks up points again it's a better weekend in
1: a lot of respect for Yuki Sonoda and my goodness did he need one well he had a good weekend last weekend he's been, he's been okay both these um, Austrian races but he managed to make ridiculous error twice you're not entering the pits properly. That was bizarre. Um, yeah, you know, doing it once, fair enough. You know, but doing it twice. You know, Oscar Wilde once is once you know, using one parent can be seen as misfortune. twice as careless. Was well, certainly you know, clipping the, the pit entry twice as careless. I don't know what he was thinking. I think the I think the problem with Yuki is he's it's becoming pretty obvious. Despite the the stellar way he launched, he's in F one at least a year too early.
2: Mm. Yeah can't really. And
1: Gads did a good job, but that was all you could get the avatar to, especially starting on soft. So actually, realistically, he did a very good job. But he's a very good driver.
2: Uh, into the top teams, uh, Charles Leclerc, the uh, least well-finishing of the Ferrari drivers after oof, a, a race he probably wants to forget, the number 16 in eighth position for the Scuderia. Carlos Sainz, the 55, in fifth position in a nice piece of uh, numerical symmetry.
1: Yeah, I mean, Sainz had a, certainly had an eventful race. He was being knocked off the track, left, right, and centre by people, banging wheels, trying to get through. Yeah, I mean, I think he probably enjoyed himself. Um, but it's interesting; he's been he's been beaten in the race by Carlos. I think three in a row now. Uh, Carlos had the reverse strategy, going hard medium rather than medium hard on the tyres. And you yeah, know, Carlos is it's interesting because yeah, when we talk about people who, who who have who appear to have made major steps, people thought that Carlos was going to get the floor wiped with him by Charles Leclerc, or at least be you yeah, know, Charles, Carlos would be a Kimi Raikkonen to Charles um, Vettel in his pomp. It's not really happened. They're very evenly matched. Charles a little bit quicker in qualifying, but Carlos seems to be much quicker and certainly much more sensible in the races. Um, so, by realizing that Carlos Sainz is probably better than we thought he was, you kind of then go, well, perhaps he shouldn't be quite so surprised that a certain McLaren driver, who was his equal last year, is doing so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Ferrari would be happy with, with with getting two in the top top eight. I mean, they they can't make the top. Four normally, so it's not so bad.
2: Uh, and McLaren is where we go next. McLaren Mercedes, Danny Rick, Danny Ricciardo, uh, the number three car in seventh position. His teammate Lando Norris uh, in the four car
1: in third position. Certainly. So, f- is my, my fourth time for ask this question? Yes. Is Danny Rick underperforming or is Lando overperforming? Rick, Rick, Danny Rick is sitting around feeling he's in purgatory um, and perhaps, I think, overdriving. Yeah. Uh, because he's concerned at how Orlando's well doing and he and, and and but is lando driving the car to its abilities or beyond its abilities um, there's 40 but, yeah. seconds
2: between them at the line now they weren't racing so you know make of that what you will but the pace of norris particularly in the middle sec- section of that race where he was keeping lewis and valtteri and to a certain extent max he was keeping up with them he wasn't being dropped um at all i thought that was really really impressive from the mclaren which has been, you know, improving, improving, improving and fair play to Zac Brown and particularly, um, I think, to the management that has been put mm-hmm. in place there in the last 18 month, uh, months or, or two years. I, I thought it was a pretty good run from McLaren, yeah, but, I, but I, I, I see what you're saying about how much of that is the car, how much of that is up. Danny Rigg, uh, for me, his body language and the car body language isn't in the right place.
1: Yeah, and I think that's because he, he's not used to being um, so dramatically outshone. And and he's sitting there thinking, is this because I'm not used to the car? Is this because Lando's got a certain trick? Or well, the, the horrible realization he might just be quicker, um, which is no driver wants to see. Now, Lando, I think, and McLaren had a, have a sweet spot. Lando is very good at this track, and he was very good last year. And the huge percentage of the track that's made up by DRS is also very good for McLaren because they're interestingly, they, they're, their wing gives more benefit from DRS than others do. It's designed to work better at that point. It, it trades off its general effectiveness to be as better as a DRS wing, which I didn't realise you could do, which just shows how clever people are. Mm. Um, so it, it, it's a great sweet spot for McLaren, and they've managed to capitalise on it very, very well with a third and a fifth. Uh, Lando was brilliant all weekend. He was very unlucky to get the penalty. Without the penalty, as things worked out, he might have been second. But Danny Rick, again, seventh in the points. That's fine. I think he'd be way more concerned with his qualifying form at the moment. His race form, yeah, there's only so much you can do if you start so far back, and I think he did a good job in the race, to be honest. Um, especially when you get stuck in D R S trains which just you know, just trundle around like a you know, the, the the goods yard. But um yeah, I think he'd be more much more concerned about his problems in qualifying.
2: Yes. Yeah, don't dis uh don't disagree with any of that. Uh, Nick Damon is here for his uh, F1 team by team. Uh, where were we with that? That was McLaren Mercedes. So we got a Red Bull Racing Honda next. Yeah. Sergio Perez in sixth position. Could have, should have, should have been better. Yeah, he, got,
1: it? he kind of got a little bit over-anxious to get past um, the McLaren on the, the, his lap off the restart, wasn't it? Um, which I was surprised about until we actually saw how good that car was in the straight line Hmm. and therefore you weren't able to blast past it um and that's why it took mercedes so long and possibly it might be a bit quicker with the with the red bull which is you know demonstrated to be the fastest car but i don't think i think sergio should be pretty upset Uh, that was a pretty poor performance two penalties the one where you shoved off leclerc was dangerous and silly um and it just did, it really wasn't a good race for him I mean, he qualified fine ferbers was great was absolutely fine that's where he needs to be but the race just went away from him from from one bad move and i think he just kind of got his head went a little bit and he needs to sit down and calm down and, and relax and i think possibly what red bull should do my advice to red bull is give him the contract for next year now don't good. don't leave him on tenter hooks good just just relax him down right you're in for next year sergio you haven't got to prove anything to us anymore just do what you've been doing yeah um and Max was well, what can you say? Ten out of ten. You know, pole, fastest lap, led every lap, won, it, it greatly enthused sixty thousand fans who all got sunburned. Um, you know, great. I mean, he's it, the thing about it is, yeah, it's interesting because everyone's lauding this victory. I mean, if if this had been last year, it was last year, Lewis won with ease. Everyone was so dull. Uh, the guy in the best cars won. Well, that's what got, that's you have a when you have a really good driver in the best car. They win yeah. by a long way. A long way. Doesn't matter if it's Max, doesn't matter if it's Fernando, doesn't matter if it's Lewis. Max did a great job. Perfect. You could I I, I yeah, what can you say? Uh, they are they are they are absolutely killing it at the moment. They're on point at the moment, no doubt. So mm. we finish off with Mercedes,
2: uh J. Yeah. Petronas. Uh, Lewis down in fourth position. Allowed yeah. Valtry allowed to race, which I thought was interesting, but clearly the right uh, clearly the the right decision to make because if they hadn't they would have been third and fourth instead of second and fourth and championship points for the constructors championship we saw flashes of the Valtteri of old I, I like the way that he did what he was told and then when he was told he could go he did and there was certainly we didn't hear of any histrionics from him and you can bet your bottom dollar because there's been so little on team radio uh, to put to TV if there had been any histrionics we would have heard it um, Flash of old from Bottas, Hamilton, hamstrung perhaps with damage to the car. But interesting damage on that car.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Hamilton damage is interesting because he went over, he went over the kerb like everyone did and something broke. But it's, they were very quick to say it wasn't because he'd broken it on the kerb, which sounds counterintuitive. It appears that something effectively stress failed from being banged so often, you know, the, 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 you know, as you know, anything metallic or even carbon fiber will eventually give way if it's, if it's waggled enough and vibrated enough. And it appears to be around that very complex rear brake drum assembly, which, which manages all the flow from the top surface to the back of the car. And hence the reason it's really, really important. Um, and, yeah, that seemed to have failed on the fatigue level, which is um, worrying. It could have been a design fault. Let's hope it's not because there's the cost cap again and they're running stuff longer lo- longer life than it should be. But it certainly cost him time and it certainly cost him second. I'm not going to agree with you about Valtteri. I thought Valtteri was equally unimpressive. Okay. Um, if Hamilton hadn't had a hamstrung car, he would have won. He would have beaten Valtteri by 20 seconds at least, Um if he beat Valtteri by
2: 20 seconds, he would have won the race.
1: No, um, because Lewis, because Max wouldn't have come in for that last stop. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Max had the precautionary final stop. He didn't even need it for the. He didn't even need it for the. Um, for the here we had the fastest lap. I ah, think but he that, did have a um, cut tire again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean, ifs and buts and maybes, but I think realistically, um, again, Bottas wasn't on Hamilton's level. Here, um yeah, but they they did the right thing. They, they they let him through, and and of course, if Lando hadn't been driving as well as he would have done, it would have been a, it would have been a procession. They would have just have mm-hmm. had uh Valtteri playing wingman, protecting Lewis, who was losing half a second a lap. And you look how far he was of fifth place. If Lando hadn't been there, they would they would have kept position for the championship. But that's that's the, this didn't happen when when things are going against you, and this is not this is, this is not a kind of a yeah, they are just not running with Mercedes. And then some of it is of their own fault. Some of it is just random. But, you know, they are on a downswing um, and they are hoping that the, the upgrades they bring to Silverstone will help. And I think they will, but they're not going to they're not going to get them back into the, into this, this massive gap unless there's problems at Red Bull. Um, okay. to similar, I mean, what I would say is I think I think the, the Red Bull ring is a very happy hunting ground for Red Bull yep. anyway. Yeah. People point at last year when. Mercedes won both races, but um, Max broke down in one. The second one was wet qualifying. And more importantly, it was the first race of the year last year when Red Bull had had a correlation issue and their car wasn't anything like as good as it was towards the end of the year. So prior to last year, uh, Red Bull had won most of the races. But I would still say, if you're a Mercedes fan, I wouldn't hang on to that because they're just looking really, really good and they're executing brilliantly at the moment.
2: British Grand Prix next, which is a home race, almost literally. first. Uh, sprint race? Uh and yes, we have a sprint race, uh, but it's a home race for both of the top teams, Milton Keynes and Brackley. You could almost push the cars uh, to <laughs> Silverstone well certainly from brackley you you, you could dri- certainly drive certainly drive the car down the first, yeah. the, like you could drive the car down the forty three I think although no, not mm. with the way it is at the moment with all those holes in the holes in the mm. road um Is that a red bull circuit is it a M- McLaren a, It'll a be circuit more. is it a mercedes it's circuit who whose circuit is it?
1: Well, they're going on the harder tires again, which will help Mercedes. They're going on the three hardest rather than the three softest, as we all know. Um Mercedes loves a supportive sidewall. Um I think I think to be honest, Max goes into their favour, but not by the the obvious it was going to happen level of this week. I think it's 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 within the bounds of very minor um adversity for, for Max not to win. Rather than major disasters that we've been here. Okay.
2: Okay, Uh, that's team by team uh, from Nick. Very comprehensive this week. Uh, Let's steer with Nick for a bit of World Superbike, uh, which was at Donington Park Mm. at the weekend with a small crowd. Um, And I have to say that I sat and watched it and rather wished I'd made the effort to to go up um, because there was some fantastic uh, racing. Uh, in yeah. the first uh, two race victories from Top Rack, uh race one and the, the sprint race, uh, it was race one no, and race, race two, no, no. the two long yeah. races with uh, Johnny Rear winning the the sprint race ahead of Tom Sykes and uh, it was Vandermark, wasn't it? In third position, um, which means that uh, Top Rack is on top of the standings. Now that comes courtesy of something we've seldom seen from Jonathan Rear, a weekend with a couple of mistakes in it. Two points well, yeah, the, the advantage now to Toprak.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the first race, obviously, we saw, you know, what is now probably the best first lap of any sort of uh, motorised race at Donington. Um, I Eclipsing Ed and centre, where he came from 13th on the grid to, to effectively be on the, the shoulder of the lead. Um, in a, An amazing uh, experience display of confidence in the in the bike in completely wet in drying conditions. But also one of the, the issues was that Donington they had a they had a patch of tarmac they, they put in I think towards the end yeah. of Redgate yeah. which were new and therefore, as you know, new tarmac has in, in the wet has a kind of an oily sheen. So they had they had dry, they had damp they had wet, and they had wet and slippy on oil on the same track. So it was a pretty much, uh, and they were mostly on the intermediates as well. So it was a, it was a voyage of discovery. It was like um,
2: riding a super powerful road bike with, the, with those intermediates on the way they were moving around. It was mm. an extra. It was like watching people at a track day, but I mean, very yeah. good people at a track day. But I thought, and, I thought it was extraordinary that that first race, and it wasn't a jump start. Um, Johnny Riet recovered. I mean, Johnny Riet had um, two mistakes. One. Which where he fell off in race two, in race one was potentially a worse end yeah. to it because he went grass track and all the way down the corner curves and stayed
1: upright. Grass on wet grass, John. <laughs> and he didn't lose. And didn't lose a position. He didn't even lose a position. I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to look at the highlights, that you want to see that again because I got no idea how he did that, but that is the level of skill. I didn't think Johnny Ray, and I watched all three races. I didn't think he looked right all weekend, hmm. and he finally made the first solo error i can remember him making because obviously he got crashed out of a race last year at yeah was it philip island yeah before the season started before the, the, the pandemic started and i don't remember him just falling off Now, obviously he has i just can't remember it i just fell off um at Coppice, which was just that's really weird um but i don't think he was on four more weekend he was wobbly in the first race and even though when he won the sprint race, he just didn't look particularly convincing. Now, everyone can have an off weekend. And despite it being his home track, Donington historically is not a good circuit for him. We all kind of assume, oh, it's his home track. Well, actually, Tom Sykes is the king of Donington. Um, well, Jonathan and Reed never been on pool before last weekend. Yeah, you told never. me that. I, that, was, that was a really interesting stat you gave me there. I was really surprised by. So I think, you know, in the ebb and flow, the falling off, the significance of that is key more than the fact he's lost the points lead because it's going to give Toprak amazing confidence. Of course, Toprak, after our conversation last weekend has, with Declan about MotoGP, has... Done that thing and signed for two more years in World Superbike and absolutely turned absolutely. down. Absolutely, no, because told him not to. Uh, right, Dex okay. told him not to just manage right. and, and the whole Monster versus Red Bull thing. But he has it back in Yamaha. Was signing for two more years in World Superbike, which is really interesting because the Yamaha World Superbike is the same Yamaha Motor GP. They're not different Yamahas. Mm. So, and he had the offer apparently to go to Motor GP, which Johnny Ray said he should have taken, not because he wanted him out of the way, because he said, yeah, you know, he said he's never had that offer. Of a Which top extraordinary well he's in the wrong he's in the wrong factory isn't he yeah because if he had been, been, been doing what he had been doing for any of the other factories then they've got a link through to a motor gp yeah you know, he's in a couple of wild cards i think when he was on the honda many many years ago but i don't I wouldn't complain because he's a six-time champion and, and, and obviously battling hard to be a seven-time champion but a really really interesting weekend and top right you know What can you say? Looks really, really good. But again, it gets very track specific. So we'll go to the next track and he might win all three races or he might, you know, I I still, despite talking about a man who's fallen off, I don't think top rates have got the consistencies. But I think his his highs are a bit higher and his lows are a bit lower. So it's going to depend on how the weekends pan out. But genuinely, I think, you know, obviously he's got a great chance, really good chance of winning this on merit, on merit, on skill and on performance. Uh,
2: Yamaha. Uh, and top rack then leading the championship by two points at the end of Donick Nova the Kawasaki uh, of Jonathan Rear. Scott Redding on Ducati is the next one. Back, get, yeah. but He's a long way back now. He's down in 117 on 117 mm. points, uh, just three ahead of Alex Lowe. So three Brits in the top four um, uh, and he's on 114. Obviously, Scott Redding did not have a good weekend. Uh, he, he salvaged, and I used that word, um, a few points uh, here and there, but bad tyre choices. He gambled and won at Aragon, gambled here, and it came up snake eyes for him.
1: Yeah, he went full wet in the first race and was 17th on that why one. Didn't he,
2: why didn't he pit at the end of the sighting lap? Because it was obvious, even by his body language, he was shaking his head halfway well, around, and he knew he was... At well, least that, he could have. He came 17th or 18th. He couldn't have been any worse if he'd gone on the gone on to yeah.
1: if he uh, insist- started if he started dead last on the correct tires he probably wangled his way up to what ninth or tenth probably yeah agreed and got more points i mean yeah. yes he would have started 15 seconds behind but he's one of the top works riders and there are a number of guys there who aren't on works bikes who who will fall back by that amount of time during the race yeah um so yeah, it's it's, it's inconceivable how i may make that mistake but these things happen don't they we see top top teams making errors like this fell off on race two and picked up some points in race three so
0: yeah uh
2: and as far as a weekend to forget for them, a good weekend for Tom Sykes and more generally for BMW with Sykes and Vandermark on the sprint race podium uh, and Sykes picking up a podium uh, in the second long race, which is the third race of the weekend. I'm not going to say that BMW have turned the corner here, but it looked a lot better for them.
1: Well, Sykes is a dominant specialist. Um, As you said, yeah. I'm not taking anything away from it, That's a fact. Well, Vandermark was there as well, though. We need to temper it a little bit. Also, the is a great when it's damp, as we saw at Mangy Corps last year when they managed to hit each other. If you Remember on the, on the opening yeah. corner of the hole in second, but that was um, that was Sykes and Laverty. Um, yeah, it, I think I think shoots have recovered. In fairness, let's be really honest about this. It looks better than it does something for Honda. So BMW looked better than Honda, um, even though in fairness to Haslam, he was he was much better this weekend at his home track with, with difficult conditions, whereas Bautista was nowhere. Um, but yeah, um, you would, if you had to say which team will do better. Next year, because we uh, we always like to look forward, you you go BMW on a much better uh, trajectory than Honda are.
2: Yeah, and end of the month, they are off to the Cathedral of Speed. It's the uh, TT circuit at Assen for the Dutch event, where pretty much anything can happen.
1: Yeah, but it's not a power circuit, as we saw from MotoGP. So um, it's going to be a Yamaha v. Kawasaki, you would think, more than a Ducati track.
2: So it's going to be Top Rat versus Johnny Rear.
1: Yeah, I think I I would probably think that Top Rat's got a bit of momentum. But, of course, the wounded Johnny Rea, as we saw when he hunted down Bautista from being, what, 70 points behind, is is an animal you want to avoid.
2: Yeah, dangerous uh, animal. Nick Damon, thank you very much indeed. And Nick Damon back in this month's edition of Historic Racing News, the radio show, which follows midweek motorsports. So in a couple of minutes' time, uh, he will be arguing with Joe Bradley uh, about what is the greatest Formula One circuit of all time. It could go on some time, I tell you. Um, set the sides. Uh, a little bit of extra time for that. How they're going to stop those two talking, I have no idea at all. Paul Tarsi, Jim Roller, Paul Jurd, uh, are all on that show coming up in a couple of minutes. As I say, thank you to all our guests tonight. Andrew Cotton from Race Car Engineering. Ivo Broikas uh, joining us from Kreventnik with some great news uh, from them about their forthcoming events. And uh, also, of course, Darren Turner, on our big interview brought to you this week by Visit Cayman Islands uh, Department of Tourism. And, well, that's about it, really. Responsible adult was Eve Hewitt. Uh, I know it's been a bit quiet on Twitter. I know why that is. Thank you for not letting me know what was going on. Uh, Only thing now to say is, well, the llama's off to find out whether they're actually going to be eating Danish bacon tomorrow morning for breakfast. Bye-bye.
0: This program is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.